easy peasy lemon squeezy that's my motto it makes things easy straightforward i'm simple tempo my words are flat and they don't get crinkled why pretend that something's good when it ain't silences my canvas let me paint i like constructive criticism don't diss my funky rhythm this episode of the better left podcast may not be suitable for all flavored vape cartridges in the state of washington yeah. Oh, strawberry jewels are gone. What about them? What about mango? <laughs> I miss my mangies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need your mangies. <laughs> Welcome to this episode, guys. Uh, we're gonna have a really good episode. You're listening to Jay Smith. I'm filling in for Sarah today. Hi, Jay. Oh, hi, Troy. Uh, Sarah is out sick because she is feeling very ill and under the weather. So she's hanging out with our dog Virgil. Whom she's given Benadryl to so that he can pass out. <laughs> that dog. Yeah. He's I a, love the dog, but so very energetic. He is so anxiety ridden. It's like, yeah. the, the, that's the thing that just blows my mind is he's always just on the next planet just worrying and he will sing you the song of his people oh, every chance he gets. That high pitch thing, that supersonic bark. This dog barks and literally you can feel it in your bones. Oh God. It's wonderful. And my neighbor likes to complain about it. And I like to complain about it. Stress so, shitting as well. Uh, joining us today, we have Troy sitting down with us. Woof. You all may remember him as the lively, plucky person who just won't shut up. That's uh, me. <laughs> I like to talk about stuff because I think it's really important to share your opinions when you're on a podcast and you're sharing a sh- uh, you know, microphones with people. And I like to be able to say stuff. That's just because you're a white male, Troy. <laughs> Mediocre white male on that. We've also got Corn sitting down with us. Oh. <laughs> That was my wolf. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Corn. I appreciate I that. Love it. Um, and you all may remember Corn as the person who just howled into the microphone. <laughs> and uh, we're also sitting down with Mike, whose last name, despite hearing it like eight times tonight, I still will not attempt to pronounce. Yastramsky. There we go. Very good. Hi, Mike. I, uh, I'm very impressed when people can pronounce my last name. So well, I, it's I will not be impressing to you it. tonight. Who uh, the heck are you? Yeah. Who are you, Mike? Why are you sitting down with us? Um... Because I got kidnapped. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My name is Mikey Stramsky. I'm a social worker at Western State Hospital, and I'm also a candidate for the presidency for Council 28 Wolfsey, which is the union that represents uh, 45,000 state employees in the state of Washington. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's rad. And so we're going to talk to Mike a little bit later about his run and also just all the stuff that he does. Yeah, Um, unions in general. But also... You're a fan of Better Left, right? Correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How did you hear? Okay. Yeah. Tell. Walk us through that real fast. I just want to know how you heard about us. So I had heard about you guys um, from Sarah's campaign. What? Um, yeah. Uh, following her on Twitter and ah. Twitter or Instagram, I can't remember which. Some social media. Um, you know, in the she'd put out information about the podcast. So listened, liked it, and then you guys had an episode where you actually started talking about unions and. Someone, I don't remember who it was, Jay or Troy or one of you. Okay. It was me. One of the men. Mentioned, hey, we would love to have more labor people on the podcast. And I said, hey, I'm a labor person. So, and I'm relatively local. So I reached out and here we are. Super exciting. And uh, it's it's an example of exactly the kind of stuff that we want to do and talk about important issues and then bring in the experts to help school us and, you know, 
Who are the experts we're bringing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll, I'll let you know when we find one. Okay. Yeah. That being said, if you are listening right now and you feel like you are an expert on any of the subjects that we talk about, please email us. You can email me directly at j at better left or please just email Troy. Uh, Yes, yes, uh, that, or you can get a hold of us on Facebook. You can also, um, maybe you, it's not just that you're, maybe you're an expert or maybe you disagree, or maybe you have more to layer on to the, you know, to the subject. We're interested in all that stuff. And connected to that, I was going to say like a lot of us, I don't know about y'all, but I think most of us have imposter syndrome. I mean, you just said like, who's the expert? So if you're on the ground, if you're working towards important issues, things that we're talking about. Yes. Come hang with us. That's the thing. Your lived experience counts for, you know, you you are an expert on something and you want to speak to as a participant or somebody who is engaged in a particular issue. We would welcome you. It's going to sound really weird, but I would, I read Reddit every now and then. I used to be like an avid anti Reddit person. Now Same. I read it. And I saw a post by Neil Gaiman talking about his yeah. experience where he was sitting down talking with Neil Armstrong and how both of them felt like they were imposters and both of them felt like they've done nothing. And so it was just, it's remarkable. Your experience doesn't matter. The, yeah, the imposter syndrome thing, I think that's hilarious because I saw that exact same thing and just had a conversation with a friend of mine last week about, you know, having imposter syndrome in quite a few aspects of our life. So, yeah, definitely. So uh, you guys want to get into the deep subjects of human-sized penguins or? Wait, wait, wait. That might be a thing that might make me say, what, what the, the shit? shit? Uh, Corn, I would love to talk to you about a human-sized penguin because I feel like the thing that's most <laughs> impressive is, Sorry. would you like to sit around, maybe smoke a little weed and <laughs> eat some mushrooms? Yeah. Stuff? Yeah. Uh, uh, the thing that I think is most impressive about this penguin is that its femur, like its leg bone, was the size of a like person. Not not quite literally the size of a person, but, but the size of a person's leg bone. Yeah. 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 Excuse me, sir? Right? Imagine like you're out in the Arctic, right? You're standing there and you see out on the horizon the most majestic <laughs> waddling bird. And it's Jay in a costume. It's me. Uh, Squawk. And it's on meth because they call animals. <laughs> yeah, on, on brand. Yeah. yeah, we actually, yeah, we actually uh, took a sharp turn away from a what the shit that was about meth. We decided to go with the penguin, and I like. But it. don't worry, we brought meth into our penguins because that's how we prefer our meth is inside of animals. That's how we smuggle it. But I just it, keep thinking in giant penguins, right? I just keep thinking about the Billy Madison skit where, like, he <laughs> Billy Madison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is that? It's um the Adam Sandler movie. I hate Adam Sandler and I do not watch anything that he does. Can you leave this studio? No, I cannot I live here. That is a <laughs> that is a pinnacle moment for me in my existence as Billy stand Madison. Him. I hate him. It's a generational gap. I mean No, yeah. I hated him. He he I was I grew up in prime time of him or whatever his song was. Can't stand it. I'm not gonna disagree with you that the vast majority of the Happy Madison productions have been Hot fucking Trash. garbage. Garbage, yeah. However, Billy Madison is his magnum opus, and I will sing its praises for every single day because it starts with Nudie Magazine Day and it ends with that weasel villain getting trashed. And anyway, the real villain of that show... Unique storyline. <laughs> ...is the human-sized penguin who steals that Veronica Vaughn from him. See, I so, didn't know we were going to go here. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm just saying, Billy Madison was a documentary, and... <laughs> Based in New Zealand, there right? There were things yeah. that we needed to be afraid of, which was human-sized penguins. And, and that's Adam really, Sandler. Yeah, that's really all I want to talk about. I hear about human-sized penguins. I'm like, what the shit? Is what? Billy Madison the golfing one? No, no, that was Happy Gilmore. Oh, my 
Billy Madison's the one where he's oh, he's the, the little devil child. No, he's that was demon. Nikki, little uh, Nikki. You know too much, and I know all these movies. And I'm baiting you. I'm Billy, trying to get a sense of who these people are. Billy Madison the was the one where he had to go back through school because he flunked out or cheated his way through school. So he oh, he was through. a ballet dancer. Yes. And he nobody and he couldn't tell his dad because his dad would think he was. That's gay. exactly the storyline of Billy Madison. Yeah, and much like a famous line from that movie, now we are all dumber for hearing this. Oh my god! <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. This is exactly yeah. what we do. Well, as a fan, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, Little Nicky was, I think, the end of the Happy Madison productions. Like that's where everything went downhill because that's the first time I remember going into a movie theater and being like, "Well, that movie sucked." And I saw like 300 or 600 days or whatever it was with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, that comes afterwards. So So getting back to the penguin that was found. So it was fossils that were found, right? So there's not actual like live penguins right now that are bigger than humans? No, but what they said, they actually found the fossil 10 years ago, but like the rock was so hard that it wasn't until recently that they had the technology to be able to like actually look at it or something did like they, break it they, open was it an x-ray or was it a or did they remove the rock with a well, special look, yeah they removed oh, they it did. They yeah removed it. and yeah. so they also said uh it would most likely have been slimmer and not as cute looking which is rude um <laughs> the ancient penguin was probably brownish and ha- had a longer beak so there you go. so it could fuck your shit up yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. it would just peck your eyeballs out yeah. that i love the story even more now because I read this article earlier and I don't know. But still, I just love the idea of a really angry penguin just running around, just fucking shit up. So if that it's sounds like slimmer. A, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, that sounds like a, a cool punk band, like the Angry Penguins. Yeah. Oh, Probably yeah. see them at the show box sometime. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We saved that. So, or nope. did we? Uh, yeah. I think we did. I think, yeah. I think it's yeah. unsaved. TBD. Now. Yeah. TBD. Yeah. yeah. Like most things in Seattle. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but Corn, uh, there were also some other really important events that happened in Washington. Oh yeah, bring that- it, bring it, sister. Yes. Yeah, so, so another what the shit this week. Um, you know, maybe not as important as penguin fossils, but whatever. <laughs> um, so it's been happening. It's been talked about nationally. It's happening here in Washington State. Is that they're starting to ban um, flavored vape cartridges, not only nicotine but THC too. Um, so like. A week or two ago, I think Trump did a press release or sort of whatever and uh, said how he was going to ban stuff nationally. Um, but Jay Inslee, he acted super quick um, because apparently he wants to make sure that we're all safe and good to go. Um, unless you work at Western State. Yeah. And, you know, unless we'll you're like that one. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> unless you're, you know, like a kid who's going to school and might get shot up, like all those sort of things that you could take an executive action on. But he is not. Yeah, or uh, my favorite is the LNG pipeline down in Tacoma. The what? There's what? Yeah, the liquid natural gas pipeline, that 350 Tacoma. I don't know. I get all my news from my politicians and no one's said anything about it. Oh, that. that's so curious. Yeah, uh, it's a it's being built on uh, native land, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so one of the things that, that makes this really shitty about his executive order that he just put out, um, and just to say exactly what it is, it asks the State Board of Health to adopt emergency rules to ban all flavored vapor products. Um, this is going on while there are protesters at in Olympia at the Capitol building asking Jay to declare an executive emergency, um, a climate emergency for Washington State. And he has ignored them. So it's it's the thing of 
why is he acting so quickly for our safety in one area, but in another area where people are begging him to just meet with them and talk, he is ignoring them. I want to add um, something to this. Corn, um, your take on this issue and bringing the, um, because you found, you were keyed into the, um, to the indigenous people, uh, you know, it was a protest, but it wasn't, they were basically sitting on top teepees and, and that they had constructed um, and created kind of a space where they were um, asking for Jay to come and sit and talk with them. Your, um, I, I just to kind of throw a, a, a compliment your way, because I don't normally like to do that. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, I love you. Um, but wow, you're on that. You were on that like before it even hit news, like you were all over it. I really, it's, it's great. And there is so much connection to this issue what the hell are you doing this theater well and what makes it so so frustrating is jay has branded himself as the climate guy and he's going around the country he's going on talk shows he's going on panels talking about how he's doing such a great job in washington state yet the activists and and the the native american folks and the people who are on the ground begging him to take action He's ignoring. And, you know, it's just really frustrating. You you might not make the connection between these two things, but when he has the power to take executive action and he's choosing to do one thing, which, let's be real, it benefits big tobacco, um, but he's ignoring the folks who who are suffering the most. It's it's really frustrating. And he's playing a zero-sum game, just to make this clear. He's doing one thing. in at the expense of the other. He is not sitting down and talking, but his jackboot thugs are, you know, well, what frustrates me about this, right, that we have all these issues surrounding decriminalization versus legalization with all kinds of illicit substances, right? Uh, we have the issue where uh, I think it was, who was it that I, I'm going to pass over that. Anyway, um, one of the things that really frustrates me about this whole situation is simply we have this quick action, right? We had like six deaths, one of which was here in Washington, so that's fair. But we have like six deaths nationwide around these black market substances, and it's black market substances that are really causing this. And we suddenly have a national ban, but things that pose a real threat, for example, like the pipeline, for example, like we were talking about with what we will talk about with Westside when we're talking about other these these other issues, we just can't seem to get a response on it. And so for me, that always makes me question, why does that happen? And I will I will just throw this out there. The current Senate majority leader receives the majority of his donations from tobacco, and I can't help but feel like there's something going on here. Yeah, and we were talking about this in the group chat. And even though Bill is not with us physically, he's with us in our hearts and in Slack. Um, And he (laughs) he said something that I really liked, which was, if only Inslee and corporate-owned Democrats move so quickly quickly, um, on anything other than bailouts for bankers, foreclosures for homeowners and their corporate donors. And that's exactly what's happening, is when the cash is behind it, they either act quickly in their benefit or they don't act at all. Absolutely. And that is why it is critical as we march towards 2020, which will be a total bloodbath, get to know who is running in your district and other districts, other your sister districts as well. Folks like Rebecca Parson, uh, Peter Khalil, uh, both whom are going to be on the show. And um, who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting. Armitage. Chris Armitage, Christopher Armitage, or Army as we call him, um, also a really great candidate um, and who will also be on the show. So the three great progressive candidates look for them. This is really random, but I will say if we can get just two more amazing progressives to run in Washington or we can find out about two more, uh, we can have progressive Voltron. (gasps) Oh. 
We could do that. It could happen. We could have like. All right. We'll we'll, we'll get on the hunt. Yeah. So the show's over now because there's nothing else to talk about. Right. Done and done. Um, But I do want to say, you know, I do think that this whole thing is a really, really good example of why this whole phrase about political will is total bullshit. Oh, yeah. Like whenever you hear this, they say, oh, the political will isn't there. Like people just don't care about it. You think people give a shit about vape cartridges right now? It's like. Uh, we have kids, more kids got shot in schools this year than have died from these vape cartridges, but we can't do any fucking thing about that. So but good. this is a problem. Now, you heard political will a lot, you and Sarah, um, in running against Adam Smith, where you would hurt his constituents. We also were a part of that, but that, that was a constant refrain, right? Yeah, it was. And we hear it all the time. I mean, just in general, look at the DNC who didn't want to run a climate change debate, right? Because people just didn't care about it. No, and I think the thing that's the most frustrating about this is, I mean, I think we can all agree, like, we're here for regulation, we're here for safe products, we want to know what's in our products, um, but but this ban isn't going to make people safer, it's going to put people and specifically kids at risk and the reason like you were touching on is it's mostly the black market products that people are getting sick from and so by banning the the legal products the products that do go through um, safety procedures and and quality control and stuff like that kids are going to be more likely to buy sketchy shit and more kids are going to get sick now and that's the connecting it to not just vapes but any sort of drugs when you make things illegal it makes it more unsafe well, the, and the irony with that being, too, that Washington state being one of the first states to legalize marijuana, right? And then we did that to take it out of the black market, the, the dangers, and now we're taking and putting it, like you said, right back in so that the same state doing both of those is just interesting. It really is interesting. And I'm thinking, too, how you know that what people are going to start doing is making home-based flavory products. Like, they're going to do that, and who the heck knows what they're going to do. Or, like, you know, it's not great that 14-year-olds are smoking jewels, but now they're going to start making weird shit in their bathtubs. You know what I mean? It's like... No, they will. I mean, yeah, uh, they'll be creating stuff in in environments that are yucky and dirty, and they're going to be adding weird stuff. And the other thing I was just going to point out here is now there's an equal playing field between vape cartridges and cigarettes, right? Because now this is one area where cigarettes ha- can't really compete. Like think about oh. flavored cigarettes, Swisher Sweets. They're terrible. They're absolutely or cloves, garbage. cloves too. Yeah, I, I kind of like cloves because I'm a little bit of a hipster I, on the inside. I kind of do too, but yeah. But it's it's incredible to me. No, but I think it's the argument of like. When when vape stuff first came out, people were like, oh, it's healthier, blah, blah, blah. And like, I still believe that it is healthier than cigarettes, but like there need, there does need to be that research and we do need to look into like what are the long term effects and that sort of stuff. But I also think that it's a realistic expectation that if you're smoking or vaping anything that you're not supposed to, that there's going to be risks involved. And so it, it, I just don't understand why there needs to be a complete ban. I, I think that it is an important discussion, but I don't believe that it's going to be something that – is it the crisis that Jay is saying it is? Is it the crisis that elevates the issue to his office that he needs to make an executive call? Yeah, I think the end result here is this, right? It's when we have government officials who care about something for whatever reason, whether it's because somebody made a fat donation to them, and I'm going to be really interested to watch the FEC donations to Inslee's our gubernatorial campaign, um, or whether they just suddenly care about a thing, right? And that's never the case with politicians. They never just suddenly care about a thing. That's true, right? Well, 
They do if it affects them personally or their family members. Think about how many politicians, how many right-wing politicians didn't care about gay rights until their son came out of the closet. And we do know that Jay is all about building that LinkedIn profile, you know, the the, the quote-unquote public option that he released right before he ran for president that is pure trash. I like, you know, it, it gets him headlines and the people who, you know, don't vape and aren't affected by this, they're like, oh, good job, Jay. You're doing the thing, keeping us safe. NIMBY grandma is like, oh, good. That vaping is gross. <laughs> and also, well, I do want to say that I, I'm not personally a person who partakes, say that 10 times fast, um, in the flavored marijuanas uh, or marijuana in general, but man, that stuff reeks. It just smell, like sometimes it just smells like a giant skunkweed dipped in strawberry juice. Yeah, but like also, I don't want to smell like smoke when I'm chilling too, and people should have that option. I, but, I, I yeah, yeah, definitely agree. You should have your option, but you know, it still just smells like a fart that someone seasoned with some fake strawberries. No, but the last point I want to bring up before we wrap this up is just you know one of the things Jay tried to say is um, we aren't waiting for big tobacco to tell us what's in these products. We aren't going to take the health guidance from them because we know their goals are to make money and create new customers, but. Big Tobacco are the ones who are actually against this. And the people that this are affecting are small farms and, and processors and, and local companies in Washington state that are now going to have to lay off employees because their entire product line has been taken off the shelves. And I think that's the thing. I, whenever I read a political message, the number one thing I do is I just look at whatever they say and then just assume the opposite. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Rick Larson out of uh, the first. Right? Second. The second. Yeah. He just sends out an email talking about his grassroots campaign. That man couldn't be further fucking away from a grassroots yeah. campaign. Oh, man. He is such a uh, weirdly noggined human the, trash. And to hear Jay Inslee say, well, we aren't going to take it from big tobacco means they probably are taking it from big tobacco like that's probably exactly what they're doing yeah and that, that's actually really great uh, uh generally speaking the wisdom should be if you hear a initiative or something that's called freedom for the thing that you love it's actually the opposite like there are people who are behind that whatever it is and it's 100 percent to block you from the thing you love probably yeah. tim Iman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um and that's exactly the problem I think that's exactly the issue. So um, I think that about wraps up for our what the shits. I'd like to move into a discussion that's kind of related for our big news breakdown. The what? Uh, the news. Oh. I'm sorry, Mike. So this one's kind of fun, I think. Um, not as fun as corn howling into microphones. <laughs> this, okay, wait. <laughs> this is fun, you say. This is so funny that you that this is fun. Yeah, dude, I'm really messed up. Like, Bring it, you, I, I mean, no, I love no, no. it. I love it. it it's a, it a little, for our, our fans, it's some insight into your brain. Yeah, I well, my brain is a dark and terrifying place, and I blame it mostly on just the fact that I, I studied philosophy in school, and so it was like, okay, let's... Let's deal with, I know it was bad before then. Too, I'm I shaking know. my head. No, you started with, yeah, this. Uh... So I got into that and we spent a lot of time arguing about things. And so I think that's kind of fun. In fact, I just gave like a, a friend, Adam, on our podcast. He did a, a night where we did drunk lectures. So I showed up and I gave one on the problem of evil. And that was a lot of fun. And I think that shows just how like messed up I actually am though. It's like, oh man, what will drunk people like to talk about? Oh, I know genocide okay oh man did you go sober 
I did. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. I was on a motorcycle. It happens. So anyway, the article that I wanted to talk about today is titled, and it's from Politico, the shocking paper predicting the end of democracy. Ooh. Spooky. Spooky. For Halloween. Sounds like a white paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly Stupid. it. Uh, <laughs> It's a paper by an author named Sean Rosenberg, who's a little well known in the psychological community because what he talks about is like psychology, psychological reasoning, and he talks about kind of like how we make evaluative judgments and those things. All right. Now, what Sean Rosenberg said was that democracy doesn't work in 2019. Uh, and specifically, the reasons he said it were pretty straightforward. So I'm going to break it down as best as I can, and I'm probably going to misrepresent it, but. Well, so we actually had you, you're, you did the research for it and we're reacting to your sharing of this, right? Is that kind of our plan? That's the hope. Yeah. And so <laughs> we're just, we just don't react. <laughs> yeah. The only preparation I've done is that I opened H. the link. <laughs> I didn't read it. Okay. So. She does not know what that is. And uh, Mike, we only talked about it really briefly. So this will be a fun experience for you too, I think. Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> Fun. Fun. So fun. So here's here's what he says. All right. The problem is that democracy doesn't work in 2019 because effectively people are not capable of interpreting things. Uh, th so his thought is basically this. Democracy, for it to really work, requires people who can think. So that means when we evaluate things, when we evaluate pro propositions and legislation, they have to be able to do so in a critical way. So they have experts, right? Then those experts deliver their information to legislators, legislators evaluate the expert opinion and then craft legislation and kind of go from there. Now, the issue is that the whole system kind of broke down with the face of the internet. So the internet shows up and now we all share memes and cat photos about how Trump is either the best or the worst and democracy just can't survive in that environment because real discourse doesn't exist anymore. Wait, are you blaming democracy not working on memes and not like corporate cash? Because that's, I'm not. I think that's more the uh, issue, right? Doesn't he say, um, and the only reason I know this is because I did actually look at the article before Sorry, the show, yeah. but did, uh, but but he says democracy is devouring itself. Like this, the gears right. are grinding down. Right. And so the reason he thinks that though is because what's happened is in the face of public information, we just have people that are reducing everything down to its basest elements. Gotcha. Right. So democracy, real democracy requires us to engage with uh, critical thinking and it requires us to actually think about things and talk about things and kind of work. Oh, things. to be engaged in the issue and to I get it. OK, right. But populism, which is the predominant thing, both on the left and on the right. And he's right about that, is that it only requires loyalty. And so loyalty to whatever the thing is. So last week we talked about the Working Families Party endorsements of Bernie yeah. Sanders, right? are not Bernie Sanders, of Elizabeth Warren and the Sanders supporters' responses to that. And for Rosenberg, that's the perfect example of populism at work because populists demand loyalty. And that means loyalty to Sanders, loyalty to Trump, loyalty to whatever it is that they might be uh, constituents of. So Rosenberg says, you know what? This type of environment with populism and the ability for it to be freely shared in the 21st century means democracy's dead. And we're only going to see the rise of things like right-wing authoritarian governments or potentially left-wing authoritarian governments that uh, are going to happen. And that's all we're going to see at this point. And so he thinks that democracy is over as a result of that. Okay. Now, Let's he, unpack that. 
Yeah. So his conclusion, though, and this is the thing that's kind of interesting. And this is, I think, the more contentious piece of it is that really what we should do is we should make sure our system prefers the elites. That is the people who are able to interpret things correctly. So he he believes in somewhat of an epistocracy is what that would be called. So the an intelligent epistocracy. Rule. Yeah. Hmm. Does he also believe in literacy tests or you know paying some money to be able to vote or things like that? Because what a, eh. what a also about like the fact that we have systemically created systems that uh, our systems unfairly favor white people. <laughs> And white people are not the smartest. They are. I at, Coming from a, a family of white people, I will tell you, they are not the most intelligent. But they certainly do work very hard in some cases, a particular, I'm thinking of particular relatives, that their ignorance they embrace. And they, they're, they fight very hard against equality issues. Um, why, why does that, is that taken into any like kind of consideration in this process? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sure at some point he gets into that. And I think that's an issue with inequity, right? Yeah. We're talking about how does this stuff actually play out in reality. But for Rosenberg, he's talking about things from a purely theoretical perspective. And like Mikey brought up some really good examples. Um, I'm going to tell you my stance on this. And this is probably going to get me harangued in some way. But I don't think Rosenberg is totally wrong. Um, uh-uh. I do think he's wrong about a lot. And I think he's wrong about the idea that uh, democracy can't exist in the 21st century under the current conditions. Um, And I actually do think he's right about the reduction of politics to meme culture is going to prevent and destroy democracy. Um, I'm just not as fatalist about it. I don't think that it's something we can't overcome, but I do think it requires people like you, me, and Corn and whoever's listening to actually engage with this stuff with a critical mind. See... I mean, maybe I'm interpreting it incorrectly, but like, I think that the internet and meme culture and things like that have made people more engaged. I mean, I wasn't a voting human in the 90s, but it kind of seems like everyone was disengaged and just doing whatever the fuck they wanted. And now like people and young, mostly young people who wouldn't have been involved otherwise and wouldn't be becoming experts in certain issues are and are empowered to do so. I think it's um, I often ask myself, is it because I am in the business of activism and and, and uh, advocacy that I'm seeing people? But I, I feel like it has shifted in my time on Earth. Um, I look back on even in high school, I would be the only person engaged in stuff like anti-apartheid stuff and, you know, any of that kind of act. I'm literally the only student in the school. And now you see full cities of kids countries of kids leaving school to you know talk about well, environmentalism I, or whatever i think going back to that with the internet it's it's a bit of both right because you can definitely be a lot more engaged um a lot more access to information but there is also you know that information you don't necessarily know where it's coming from i can throw something out that i just pulled out of my butt that has no truth behind it but you know 27 people read it and 117 people share it and then all of a sudden it becomes fact Whereas, again, you think about like high school, funny story about me, a lot of the political uh, readings and ways that I found out about things was actually um, a Rage Against the Machine CD. And in the CD booklet, you know, they've got stuff about uh, Leonard Peltier and about like, you know, the Cuban Revolution. And then 
you know, this is how old I am. I go to the library and look up encyclopedias, you know, these physical big books that still existed. Oh, I don't know what those are. That was pre-Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> right. But, that, but, you know, and that's, so to have the internet, to have that information, maybe I would have been more engaged, but I also could have gone down weird rabbit holes and who knows what I might believe now. Right, because you can get exposed to very charismatic online personalities that veer you in. We've talked about that in the past, but I, for me, it was uh, zines. Zines that introduced these counterculture ideas that I believe really was a reaction, almost like an antibody to the the whole, um, uh, you know, greed is good sort of time. And I think that those zines are going to make a comeback because I think people are really feeling disconnected because everything's digital. You feel like, you know, you lose your phone or you don't, you know, have Internet and you feel like I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the world. We used to exist without it. Well, I think that's the thing that's really interesting, right? So if you look at popular culture, you see things like the punk movement and the anarchist movement that really are embodying kind of that counterculture type of thing that happened. Sure. And it's really interesting. So we're on a podcast, but podcasts are now being talked to and are equ- equated to the same thing that zines were. Yes, they are, Jay. That's really true. And free radio was another thing that was really common. And so you do get these counterculture movements that start to rise up in response to it. And this is part of the reason why I'm not nearly as fatalist as Rosenberg is, is that I do think that you can get people more or less on the right track. And one other thing I'm going to point out, which is that used to be a trope in movies and in television of the politically engaged student. That used to be a trope you would see displayed to you. Yes. Yeah. And and diminishing that activism because it's coming from a student. Exactly. And now what you're seeing is something very, very different. It's almost wrong for students not to be politically engaged. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think this is one of the things that maybe Rosenberg isn't accounting for, which is simply that in the advent of the free speech trade, you do see populism as a result. And but you are also seeing people more engaged in different critical ways. Now, here's the here's the big thing. I think we got to be really, really careful because I come out of the conservative evangelical movement. And one of the things that happens in these environments is that what is supposed to be a debate becomes dogma. Uh. dogmatic beliefs are the real problem but even inside of the evangelical community now you are seeing a reversal of some of these dogmas such as gay people are evil into now real discussions about like let's deal with this difficult problem and so i think this is something that can really exist i think we can have a working democracy um even if it doesn't leave space for like oh i don't know racists right well yeah i also want to add we we spend a lot of time telegraphing not speaking because there's a lot of things that we know that we don't know that we know uh, rules about speaking and cadences and, and a bunch of stuff. The other thing that we don't do well is teach people how to fight. And I don't mean fight because listen, to me, I'm ready to fight. But that that exchange of ideas where you really encourage friends and people that are around you to challenge your notions. And we don't do that. And I think this is real. So Peter Singer wrote an article about racial discrimination a long time ago. And it's really interesting because Singer is a utilitarian. So he thinks that whatever the consequence, uh, that's not quite right, but like he's a utilitarian. So he talks about what is maximizing value in the situation. And he reasons at the end of that argument that it's probably not morally wrong to racially discriminate. We can actually come up with reasons why it would be rational and a rational actor would want to do it. But what Singer does anyway is he says, you know what? But we should make it illegal anyway. 
because it's a better society for us and one which we don't permit racial discrimination. Okay, uh, I'm going to need you to unpack that a little bit only because I'm thinking of a listener who hears that. What does that mean? Like, how, yeah. how can it be morally, you know, uh, excusable? For Singer, not for me, but for Singer. Yes, right, yeah. For Singer, it's morally permissible to make decisions for rational reasons. So, for example, uh, if you have a justification, we do this all the time. So take, for example, putting your dog down. It would be really, really wrong for you to just go kill your dog for no reason. But if you had a reason, such as it had terminal cancer, it would be too much money for you to treat the cancer. Like if you didn't have the ability or the means to do so, you could come up with a real reason why it would be morally permissible for you as a moral agent to do so. But what, right? is, what is the argument for racism being morally so, for example, take the take the case of a small business owner who lends money. Okay, uh, they might, for in the past, have had good reason to believe that uh, for members of the black community may not be as reliable with paying that money back. Now, let's put an asterisk next to yes, good yes. reason, and, like, and that's not what we let's think. actually we don't yeah. think that yeah. because. Our system also creates inequity that, you know, there's a lot of that, but then also people are just racist. Well, that's exactly right. But whatever you call it, they would have rational reasons for believing that, right? Gotcha. So they can uh, explain away the bad part of it and they're just doing good business. Yeah, we can remove the val value of judgment. I think that's a good call out too. Um, but they would have rational reasons for thinking that. And the same thing is true here, wherein when we get start getting to a place where we can make explanations about things and we can talk about things, it might still be the case that it would be morally wrong to do so. Now, here's the real critical part of it, and this is where we're all coming to. Singer believed that the best way we could handle it, if we could rely on it, would be for social pressure to push these people out. That social pressure, that us saying that that's not good enough would actually be the way to do it. And the thing I love about the 21st century is that we now have a means by which we can do that and we're doing it. Like we're actually singling these people out. We're holding them accountable in society so that now we have a mechanism to say, nope, you're an asshole. Uh, you know, I, I remember I just went through this flashback of of what got us to this day sitting here with Mike, with our other folks that have been on this podcast. But I remember coming to volunteer for the campaign, meeting you, meeting some of the other campaign folks and then um, meeting Corn, and then your energy Corn help kind of propel us and, and you think about bill and some of the other folks who just really moved individuals as a group it was phenomenal but that's kind of what this is right that antibody kind of reaction to an infection that's what i think and that's why i think that's why i'm not nearly as fatalist as rosenberg now i think untapped and un, untethered that's can have some really bad runaway effects too. I mean, I think that's when we see things like segregation, Japanese internment camps and those kind of things where, in, or yes. Yeah. But absolutely. when we have enough exposure to information, you can't forget that. Right. And that's the one thing is like, once you know a thing, you can't unknow it. That's right. When you know, you know, and people who choose to not acknowledge a truth either about themselves and their take on the world, if they know that it's, they are, if they're putting up straw men, um, that that don't necessarily they're not actually an explanation for their bad behavior they're just a way to rationalize away the badness then that they're not moral at all and so that's the thing that's the conclusion of rosenberg's paper for me when i think about the premises he puts out it's not necessarily that democracy can exist it's that this uncontrolled or this controlled democracy where we have people who are only beholden to their donors and whatever their rational reasons might be that cannot exist and so I'm all in on that. I think that's actually a good democracy. I think that's a good functioning society. That's great. Uh, this is really 
this is amazing. I got, I almost want to have a segment on future podcasts where it's just like Jay's talk on whatever and kind of, you know, it's, it's an interesting way to challenge ourselves and to think about how we feel about these pretty amazingly deft sort of slices of our society and culture that you wonder how they get here. This is really great to unpack. It's fascinating. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to see these kind of things coming out, though. I'm excited to see it actually hit public discourse where we're actually reading these things and we're engaging with them in a good way. So, because uh, I came across this one just on my regular news article, so I thought that was pretty neat. <laughs> it's it's awesome. I, I really appreciate yeah. that. I'll actually read it later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think that kind of wraps up the big news breakdown. Unless anybody has any final words to say about that. No, thank you for bringing it up. I think it's a great conversation. Uh, however, I do want to take a slight break because when we come back, we're going to be sitting down with Mike. Yastramski. Yastramski. Did I get it? Yes. There you go. Mike Yastramski. And we're going to be talking a little bit about his run for the Washington. King of the Union. King of Washington. Yeah. King of Washington. Uh, no, the Washington Federation of State Employees. Council 28 Presidency. Wow. Awesome. Your that's- business card is going to be like three feet long. That's wow. Plus, with my last name on it, that'll just, oh. you know. Yeah. I have to tell you about my buttons. So, that's a union representing 45,000 different state workers here in the state of Washington. Yeah, yeah. And so, that is a really big deal. So, we'll come back and talk about that right after the break. Okay, we are back. And so, Troy, I know that you are really excited to, to talk to Mike about some stuff. So why don't we jump right into it? Absolutely. Are the other two not excited? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> no. excited too, but Troy's soups dupes excited. Well, here's what I'm excited about. I have a, a renewed excitement um, about unions and representation. And it, for many reasons, because of getting involved, uh, you know, in the politics of things. But I've always felt like collective bargaining and all of that, that sort of uniting the working class to demand more from the people they work for. Uh, And that even though it's all about profit, that there doesn't need to be profit at the expense of laborers and so we uh, some time ago we did a show and uh what was the gentleman's name again it was the jingle jacob harishment da, da, yeah, da, da, yeah. Oh, he's the uh, american airlines union chief is what i understand I thought, yeah well, it was like joseph samuelson but Stephen schultz i remember him by position unless by name which is i think actually a good thing for unions right yeah it's like it's really about people, not about individuals. So I you think- know, it, it's funny you mention that because one of the things that I often talk about with within my own union, and then you know any other unions too, is that I think sometimes going back to our earlier conversation about the populism is we do get worried about you know the person as opposed to the position. Yeah, you know, and the the leader, um, the the union president, uh, as I quickly scan this to my head is uh, Samuelson. Is it Samuelson. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Samuelson. Um, he uh, 
his words were so stirring. They were so, they really fired me up uh, because it was a moment where somebody said, hey, I'm going to tell you this isn't going to come, this isn't going to end well. And the empowerment and the pieces of that really fired me up. And so I was getting involved and, and kind of sharing some of that on the podcast. You heard it. Correct. And then what? And then I reached out to you and said, hey, because you had mentioned, again, wanting to have some some union voices. And I said, I, again, mentioning earlier, I don't know that I'm an expert, but I'm I'm a union voice and, you know, wanted to be a part of that. So here we are. And I got to tell you, um, having somebody do that, like it's it's a nice closure of that circle where we're having discussions about things we feel are important and then being able to bring someone in that can speak to the details. Um, now, as we said, you are running for office and you are, hold on one second. So right now you work as a psychiatric social worker at Western State Hospital. That is correct. Okay. So you are running for, uh, you're also a member of the, uh, you say WOFSI. WOFSI, correct. Right. Washington Federation of State Employees. Which is also part of AFSME. That is correct. And that is? American Federation of State and County and Municipal Employees. And that has, uh, WOFSI has, 45, over 45,000, they represent for over 45,000 people who work in the field, whether they're a member of the union or not. Correct. So we have 45,000 roughly state employees that are what they call part of the bargaining unit. So there are people who are covered under our contract. Uh, not all of them are members. Um, you know, depending on the work site, some of them are 90 some percent membership. Some of them are down as low as 60% membership. Huh. Um, is it generally over 50%? So it's over 50% pretty much everywhere as far as I know. There might be some outlier work sites. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, it is primarily. But so a place like I work, like Western State, um, Eastern State Hospital out in Spokane, um, some of the JRA facilities, those tend to be... JRA. Uh, juvenile... I can't remember exactly. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, is it like ju juvenile... I'm going to say retention. That's not it. <laughs> um, it's the... like So juvie hall. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, rehabilit juvenile rehabilitation something. I would have to look that up and I should know that, but it just blanked on me just now. No sweat. Go um, on. But anyways, so uh, what they refer to as institutions, you know, those kind of facilities, we tend to be at higher membership levels than maybe some of the other uh, offices, some of the DSHS, LNI offices. And I think where that comes from is one of the things that really builds kind of union and collective power is struggle. Um, those institutions tend to be, can be dangerous places to work. Um, sure. And because of that, there is that shared struggle among the staff that understand the power of the need for the union. Um, the other thing that happens a lot too is we are often the first on the chopping block when it comes to budget cuts. So also an understanding of the need for the you know having a, a strong union to to protect those jobs it's interesting to think about this particular situation because it is an intersection of things that we as a group really value having more dialogue about so we're talking about people in moments of crisis who have gotten to that point for one reason or another probably many societal uh also having mental illness or having even a physical illness that has contributed to a mental decline or um, 
you talk about JRA, which is, yeah, so you were right. It's the uh, Juvenile Rehabilitation Administration, Administration, which is part of DSHS. Yes. And uh, interesting, uh, learning stuff already. Um, when you look at all of these intersections, how critical the services are, you you are dealing with people who are in dire crisis. And as you say, like you're the first resources that get trimmed when it comes to budget cuts. That's That's heavy duty. You're dealing with people who can hurt or harm we we can i think we're also we tend to the reality is most of the the clients that we serve tend to be people of lower socioeconomic status um you know good bit of them have experienced uh, homelessness you know things like that so it's a society kind of you know you get a lot of that nimbyism and a lot of that like why should my taxpayer money pay for this person that person and you know it's 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 easy to sell Hey, we need to fund, you know, the the elementary school. We need to fund this, but you know, when I say I need to fund mental health services, a lot of times what people think of is, you know, the person sleeping under the bridge in Seattle that they that makes them mad cuz you know, that person is peeing in public or whatever. It might Interesting be. that you're holding we hold homeless people up as as the example as sort of the the monster like this is what we're paying for, but we're talking about people who are even farther outside the margin, right? Like Corn. And and so for people outside of Washington State or who just aren't familiar, um, what is Western State Hospital and why is it so critical to, to Washington State? So Western State Hospital is one of two state-run psychiatric hospitals in the state, the other one being Eastern State Hospital in Medical Lake out by Spokane. We are the largest psychiatric facility west of the Mississippi, third largest in the country. Um and there is a critical shortage of mental health services just nationwide. Um, Washington also has one of the uh, worst outcomes when it comes to access to mental health services. Um, so, you know, to take something like, again, Western, which is often the uh, last stop, so to speak, the last resort for people to actually get any kind of treatment. Um, so protecting that kind of environment to allow people to actually get treatment is critical. And not only uh, pr helping folks who need treatment, but also if someone has committed a crime, that's but but they need to be determined whether or not they're mentally competent to, to stand trial. That's where they go. Correct. Correct. Interesting. So they'll so when they are saying like if they're they're pleading some kind of insanity or, or some kind of mental sort of. Uh, challenge related to the law that they broke or the thing that they did, they come to Western for evaluation. So prior to even the the plea, right? So you have a constitutional right to be, uh, you know, to have a, a fair trial. And part of a fair trial is being able to be able to assist in your own defense. And you have to be deemed competent to do so. Meaning that if your illness is such that you, uh, again, you can't participate in your defense, you can't work with a lawyer, mm. then you really can't have a fair trial. So the beginning stage of that is being evaluated even for competency to stand trial. Interesting. So I want to take a step back real quick. Mike, talk to us about your history. Like how you so you're a social, a psychiatric social worker. That seems intense. Where did it begin and, and what lead, led you to, you know, the throwing your hat in the ring? So uh, I started actually in, in Baltimore, Maryland, 
at a place called Spring Grove Hospital, which was a forensic uh, state hospital in Maryland. Why the forensic? What does that mean? So that means, again, the people who come from the jail um, for, for court-related issues. So in uh. Washington right now, Western State is about half forensic, half civil, uh, though Governor Inslee has recently uh, laid out his five-year plan he laid out last year to slowly transition both Eastern and Western state to be fully forensic facilities by 2023. And the difference between civil and forensic. So civil would be someone who's experiencing a mental health crisis, goes to an emergency room, gets involuntarily detained and then um, sent to us, but doesn't I come in it. through, through uh, again, the court system through the legal system. Interesting. Gotcha. So, yeah, so I was at Spring Grove outside of Baltimore um, where I worked as a, a social worker. Um, which also, like Western, had a lot of issues with uh, staff safety, with violence, um, all of that, uh, even to the point that I got stabbed at work. What? Yeah. Uh, so a uh, patient had fashioned a toothbrush shank, um, and their lawyer had let them know about an evaluation that I had done. Which, oh, no. Which was said that they were competent to stand trial for their their and crimes personal and yeah is that is that a violation of something or it wasn't technically illegal because they have a right to see that but generally they do not see that until the day of trial but then the trial got delayed and he had already given the person the evaluation so then when they came back to my oh uh, my gosh to my ward that i worked on so what happens to is a person who is in that state is in you know like they're 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 not able to really judge good or bad and they're they're you know doing so this, it, do they get charged? So it varies. So in my case, this was a person that we had deemed to not actually be mentally ill. This was somebody who was um, you know was competent for their crimes and and wow you know and then was mad because they knew they were likely going to prison for a long time. Did they think so. that by offing you that they would? somehow i don't necessarily think i think at that point it was more about just a, a revenge kind of you know they were already going down they're, so. yeah, they're just like yeah. i'm taking you yeah. with me right yes no but i mean that that really brings it to um you know one of the reasons you're running is because you folks you, you're doing really important work and you're providing a service that really is critical to folks and to helping them um but because of that and because of the sort of work you do, um, it, can, it can be dangerous. And so isn't it true that Western is the most dangerous workplace in Washington State? That is correct. Based on uh, OSHA standards, you know, when they look at the uh, numbers of injuries, of assaults, of L&I claims, um, we had over a thousand documented staff assaults last year. Um, which, you know, that's three a day. And those are just the ones that are documented. I was going to ask, so what what would preclude something from being documented? So basically, let's say I'm working with a patient. Um, they take a swing at me, uh, punch me in the shoulder. I'm just using that as an example, right? Okay, I have a bruise, but it's I not gotcha. going to prevent me from going to work. And do I really want to go through filling out all the, the reams and reams of paperwork and go through all this sure. and all of that when there's probably nothing that's going to come of it anyways. Yeah. So I just sort of suck it up and deal. So it, when is a person, so in those instances, how, 
I, I can see what the importance of reporting things, even when they're small, because it could be a, a run up to something larger um, incident reports and all that. The the red tape around, you know, the bureaucratic kind of fill out this and take a picture of your I'm sure I'm sure there's a whole process. Right. Um, when those things happen, how do you how does the process when those things happen and they're not reported? Uh, how you know, how 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 regular an occurrence is that? It's really hard to say. I mean, I, of course, encourage all of my coworkers to report everything. Um, I think that that's incredibly important to have accurate data, yeah. um, all of that. But again, when people are uh, running short staffed, you know, I've got all of these different patients. I need to take care of all the stuff I need to do within my shift. Again, do I really want to take that half hour to sit and fill out all this other paperwork? And that's something I want to make clear, too, is when we're talking about the safety and the well-being of the the folks that work there, um, we're not trying to villainize folks that are going through mental health crisis and things like that. Um, A lot of this is preventable. And so I'd I'd like to talk about that. Um, So you just... You just put out an article um, titled Governor Inslee Can't Let Western State Hospital Be the Most Dangerous Workplace in Washington. Um, And you lay out some ways that Jay Inslee could act now um, to to make a difference and to make it a safer workplace for Washington State or for Western employees. Um, So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, it was an op-ed that we submitted to the Tacoma News Tribune. Um, myself, and then there's another author on there, um, Elijah Sachs, who is the president of Local 793 within my, uh, with part of my union. Um, and basically where this has come from is we as a, as a union, especially within our local and then other institutions, again, Eastern, um, all of those had been, you know, we've been complaining about this for a long time. We've been, uh, we've actually met with Jay Inslee. Um, I've personally met with him twice in the last 18 months. Um, you know, the, it, and this has been an ongoing discussion where we really haven't gotten traction. You know, we've gotten a lot of, I'm going to look into it. I'm going to see what I can do. So at that point amongst the group, we said, well, if you don't know what to do, we can tell you, here's a couple things that we can give you right now that again, going back to the concern earlier, you know, that he could handle, that he could implement immediately. Um, so. Right. And so bringing that back, like you were saying to what we were talking about earlier with Jay Inslee and how he put out the executive order to ban vaping, um, that, that clear and, and really quick, um, decision-making and taking action. Um, he's capable of doing that. And that's something you talk about in the article is, um, an example you give is how he immediately halted digging under Seattle's state route 99 tunnel project. Um, when there was a sinkhole because it was a danger, uh, to, to folks who were working on it and, and to, to the folks in the city of Seattle. And so that's all that you're asking, just like how the folks who are, who are, um, protesting for, for the climate stuff, that's all that they're asking is for action. And this is really interesting because we did not plan this, but it's such an interesting intersection because, as I said earlier in the uh, podcast, Corn has been on the ball talking about, okay, you got angry about the vaping stuff. Uh, you were just like, this is so stupid. I remember your tweet on it. And then uh, I remember the morning, early morning, looking and seeing that you were all over the um, uh, Native American uh, indigenous people protesting, uh, protesting. I'm putting that in quotes. They are peace. Uh, they are very peaceful, peaceably assembling 
They actually call themselves Salish Sea Protectors. Excellent. And they're talking about the environmental impact and 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 they they have some demands that are backed by science, by the way. And so do you. And so if Jay can make these decisions, if Inslee can decide that that he's going to react uh, with details, you've got reams of studies and things to talk about the safety issues. Um, what's interesting too, and I just wanted to kind of take this back. I know we skipped over some of your history. Right. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk about that, but then I want to stop for just a moment and I want you to tell me what the other person does that you wrote the op-ed for in the oh. Okay, so uh, I guess I'll go back to my history. So I mentioned that I was stabbed. And the, the reason that that's important is that's actually what got me uh, involved in the union at the hospital that I worked at there, which was also an, an AFSME union. Um, so because at the time, Maryland within the state hospitals didn't have really any kind of major safety issue, or not safety issues, safety uh, protections, protections or measures. It was kind of just expected like, oh, you'd, you'd get beat up at work, you'd get hurt, whatever, you know. And It's all part of the business, kid. Right. And finding that that was unacceptable, I happened to uh, be at a the benefits fair where, you know, they talk about your health insurance and all that kind of stuff at work. And there was the, the union table for our union at the time, uh, Maryland was a right to work state. So again, it was people who you didn't have to be a member of the union, but it was, uh, which is Washington state as well. Well, now everyone is because of the Janus decision, right? So this was pre Janus. Some states had what they called fair share laws. Other states did not. Maryland actually eventually got a fair share law right around the time that I moved out to Washington. But my involvement with them was under the right to work. Uh, but anyway, so basically talked to the the union representative there. She asked me what my major issues were. I said, of course, safety being the, the number one. Um, we got talking. We came up with an action plan, um, you know, put a lot of pressure on the governor on the hospital administration, we actually were able to start a uh, statewide uh, safety committee for all of the institutions within the state of Maryland, uh, which I actually found out recently is still going. So I'm a little bit, take a little bit of pride in knowing that something that I started is, is going and, and still pretty successful. Um, of course, they still do have problems. You know, I'm not gonna say it's all perfect, but it, it has improved greatly since that time. I just wanna uh, make a few clarifications for people the janice decision was basically saying unions couldn't charge fair share so explain that okay so basically what it is is you can't be forced to be a member of a union but because everyone who is covered under the contract uh, there's a cost to bargaining the contract so they would have a certain level that they called say representative uh, fee pay fair share dues whatever terminology they wanted to use, which was slightly less than full dues. So those were people who, if you're not a full dues paying member, you know, you couldn't vote in union elections. You didn't necessarily get like some of the perks. union discount perks and stuff like that, but you were, but it was the cost of simply being the contract. Yeah. Uh, this guy, Mark Janice, a child support worker in, uh, Illinois, uh, got hooked up with, uh, one of these right wing Koch brothers, anti-union groups. Uh, brought a lawsuit basically saying that um, because the union is involved in politics that he disagrees with, that his dues money is, and this goes back to Citizens United because now that money is speech Ugh. and union dues were being used for political purposes, then his money was, he was being forced, 
it was against his free speech rights, basically, was his argument. Um, and the Supreme Court, in a five to four decision, uh, ruled, and they said, yeah, that's right, um, which actually overturned the Abood principle back from the late 70s, which is what established fair share laws to begin with. Um, so, so now you're covered under the contract, everyone is, but you're not required, you're either a dues paying member or you're not. So you're either you're in or you're out. So there's people who pay dues and there's people that pay nothing. So the people that are interesting, we talked a bit about the breakdown of who is or is not part of the union. And you said, generally speaking, it's around, did you say 60% or it's above? Depends on the work place so sure so there might be some sites. outlier you know, right. stuff but the the motivation for being involved in the union at that point is a matter of pride and support for an organization that is fighting for the rights of everybody that's working there correct yeah. so and it's the understanding of you know and this is why these right-wing groups that are, are so against unions is because the idea is that they convince enough people to opt out you weaken your uh, financial ability you weaken your ability to bargain um, which then weakens your contract, and then you can slowly chip away at those workers' rights. And just to be clear, we're talking about um, a, a a dues expenditure that can appear to be on its surface onerous. You say that, like, I think it's what is it, eighty something dollars a month, or so we have a cap. Um, what that means, is, so we, it's one point five per, for our union. Every point, union yeah. is different, so our union is one point five percent. Um, of your wages with a cap of $80 a month. Okay, so, so is that a, like a sliding scale kind of a thing? or No, so it's it's 1.5%, yeah. but then if that 1.5% goes over 80, it, it caps at 80. That, I'm not a mathematologist, but right. that makes sense, yeah. So, and we actually at our convention next week, we'll be taking up uh, a handful of um, resolutions and amendments around um, changing that cap actually, and potentially eventually eliminating the cap. To make it more equitable so that everyone is paying 1.5%. Corny had a question. No, I was just going to say, because if it, if it caps, wouldn't that just benefit the people who make more money? Correct. Yeah. So no, I'm not for that. So, so, yeah. so here's a, yeah. So here's a, uh, another question. So people who aren't dues paying members, is there a division or a schism between those folks and people who are union reps? Me- union, you know, meaning as far as like at the work site or yeah i mean just in general is there like uh, do you parlay like is there is, you know is there like uh do you wear two different costumes and you kind of have a no i mean jet, you're a jet kind and of- for instance like so i'm a i'm a shop steward which means um that also like if someone has a grievance if someone has a representational issue that i i represent them um on behalf of the union um there's a federal law, DFR, duty of fair representation. That means whether you are a member or not, uh, you are covered again under the contract. So, oh, wow. So even if you are not a member, but you are a, a member of the union, but you're a member of the bargaining unit, you come to me, you say, Mike, I'm having this issue with my boss. I've gotten disciplined. I don't think this is fair. I want to grieve this. I would, I'm legally obligated to handle that grievance for you. No, and and I, uh, Mike, having spent uh, some time with you, you know, you you came and visited with us. We sat down, Corn, you and I, uh, and talked a lot about this stuff. Um, and I'm trying to remind myself so we don't leave out salient points. But you, so you do this stuff. When you talk to those people who aren't represented, how do you approach, like, is it with pride or is it with frustration that this person's soaking off of your hard work? So to be perfectly honest, I don't necessarily know a lot of times, like I don't 
you know, I don't have a list of who's like, oh, you are a member, you're not a member. I just know you're a coworker. You come to me, you have an issue. So I'm going to try to help you with that issue. Um, that being said, people who aren't members, if I know that they're not members, you know, you, you talk to them and you find out why, what is the reason? Are you, uh, some people it's a, it's a financial issue. Some people, sure. uh, there are certain religions that prevent them from being members of sure, unions. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Uh, some people will just say, well, I was a union member and 10 years ago they dropped the ball and they didn't oh, help me mad. on this yeah, okay. and, you know, any of those kind of things. So, you know, you find out what that reason is. Um, and in some cases, you know, people change their mind and then they join up afterward. They're, you know, they're happy that you help them, you know, and some people never do. And, you know, it's just a, a matter of having that continued communication and conversation. That's phenomenal. And I think, again, I bring bring up that we have talked in the past because I've I've been able to suss out your character as a person. You you genuinely care about what you do for a living and the people you're, you're fighting for the protection of everybody who's working in Western, Western state and Eastern state. And, you know, well, and, and everyone who works for the state of Washington. So, yeah. you know, my, again, my job site's Western, uh, this union presidency, this union covers state employees again, everywhere. So department of transportation, fish and wildlife, uh, like I said, L and I, you know, university of Washington, all of those kind of things. Wow. Um, and I've gotten to know, uh, people at, again, all over the state at all over these work sites. And, you know, we have Instant safety safety issues within the institutions, but there's also, you know, people who work for Department of Transportation. They have safety issues at their work. Um, you know, people just about traffic and you know that kind of thing. Or? Well, Department of Transportation, for instance, here in Seattle, part of their job uh, now is that they're the ones who are tasked with uh, doing cleaning out the homeless camps under the freeways. Oh wow! Um, and there was actually a Department of Transportation worker here in Seattle about a year ago who got stabbed. Um, doing that, you know, they have to deal with, um, dirty needles, things like that. And these, uh, homeless encampments are not cropping up in places that, I mean, they can also be environmentally hazardous, Correct. both from the people living there because there's no waste treatment facilities, but they also are in places where it was polluted before they got there. Right. So you have that. And then you have the, uh, the financial aspect too, where, you know, we have members, state employees, people who work 40 plus hours a week who, you know, under this new contract uh, that, that just went into effect on July 1st, we had to fight and fight and fight just to get the minimum wage to $14 an hour, $14 an hour. Wow. Um, so there's, there's people that I know, the coworkers of mine that, you know, are having to get food benefits or having to get housing assistance, um, you know, that are having to ration their insulin because they can't afford it because they have to feed their kids and pay their rent. And, you know, again, and these are not what people consider the, the lazy, you know, again, these are people working full-time jobs plus overtime for the state of Washington. And they're barely making ends meet. Or not in or some not cases. Right. And I think one of the most powerful things that you and I talked about was, you know, if you're one of these employees on your own and you're facing unsafe uh, workplace or you're not being paid adequately, if it's just yourself, like you feel super helpless in that. But this is 45,000 people strong. And so you guys, you have the potential to have a, a lot of influence, correct? Correct. I mean, I, I think about, um, you know, during legislative session, you know, we try to get people to come down to the Hill. We try to get people to, again, meet with their elected officials. Um, imagine, you know, again, there's a, a big issue around, again, workplace safety or around bringing it from a $14 an hour minimum wage to even a, a $17 an hour minimum wage. If I brought 
5,000 people, okay? So like 10% of the people we, we bargain to a hearing on that, you know, and, and filled that room. That would blow their mind, yeah. Right. Uh, so I, um, we were planning, uh, when we were sitting down and playing for the show, Corn brought up some, um, you know, the sort of the key pieces from your op-ed because it really is a microcosm. It's a snapshot of your motivations and what it is you're trying to do. Um, why you'd even run for King of the Unions. Is that what we said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so break down the op-ed for me. And I do also want to have you just tell me a little bit about your cohort in writing this year, but you're kind of, uh, your okay. patriot. So um, the op-ed that we submitted, uh, again, we, we briefly just went over just a handful of some of the stuff that, that's come up around safety issues, around some of the assaults, and that's been well-publicized. Cairo 7 did, an artic- or did a piece on it just a couple weeks ago. Again, Seattle Times has done stuff um, around some of the injuries and the assaults. So we, we mentioned some of those, again, just to make sure that people understood. And, and it's happening so often that I put in there, it, it is hard at times to even keep track, you know, we'll just be sitting outside talking and I'm like, Oh, did you hear what happened to, you know, John Doe? I'm like, Oh yeah, I heard, you know, he got his nose broken. No, that was, you know, this other John Doe, this guy got, you know, his, his hand broken or, or whatever. It's so hard to keep track of because it happens so often. Wow. Um, you know, so it, it is a, a crisis, right? Um, like I said earlier, we had over a thousand documented last year, three a day, right? Um, that's a lot. And, you know, I've seen, I've watched coworkers of mine leave in ambulances. Um, I've gone to visit them at the emergency room, things like that. And that's, that's jarring for me. Um, in addition to my own safety, again, seeing that happen to other people, my wife also works at Western State Hospital. So then there's another, you know, concern that I have also for, for her safety, her well-being, in addition to my own, and again, in addition to my other coworkers. So... Again, going back to our meetings with uh, with Governor Inslee, you know, and them saying they didn't know what they need they could do. So we we laid out for them what we feel are three very simple things that they could do. First one being, we are woefully understaffed. Um, we have people who are working with they call it Mando mandatory overtime just to meet bare bones staffing requirements to keep the place running. And those are the uh, edicts uh, like law, like by like there you are expected to have X amount of people or, or is it just a, a, a kind of arbitrary number that someone's shot? So there, well, there's the X amount of people that you have to have. And then let's say someone is uh, what they refer to as like a one-to-one, meaning a particular patient for whatever reason has to have one dedicated staff to them. You know, so if we have a handful of one-to-ones, then we need to have extra staff. If, we have a lot of staff that are out on L&I because they got injured. Then we need to have overtime to cover what would have been their shifts. And so that's what I want to make clear too. This, these three things, not only are they about making it safer for you guys, but it's also about making it safer and making it the best environment for the patients as well. Yes, such a yes. good point. And that's very true. Um, one of the things that I, again, I've brought up in other times talking about this is you know, I can go to the news. I can go to whoever, you know, my other coworkers can. Our patients cannot. And they are assaulted regularly. Um, you by, know, and, by other patients. By other patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are, you know, these are some of the most vulnerable people in our society. These are people who are dealing with severe mental illnesses, who are dealing with uh, dementia, with traumatic brain injuries, you know, things of that nature, who who part of our job and our duty is to protect them and is to take care of them. And when we don't have the amount of 
people needed to do that. Like we're, we're failing that. And one of the reasons you're understaffed, I know, um, you know, during the recession, Western State was one of the first to get hit the hardest, correct? Correct. And we still have not uh, really made up for that. That was under Gregoire, I believe, yeah. was the one who put in a lot of layoffs, killed positions, furloughs. And, and yeah, we still haven't recovered but since, from that. But since then, look at how Washington State has recovered and look at, you know, we have Amazon and all these billionaires and people. And so there's no reason for Western to be underfunded and understaffed. So when that happened, there was also sort of that, I think it was actually pre-recession, right? When it was sort of like, we're just not going to fund mental health services to the level of, I mean, I remember that being a, a kind of a frightening thing that changed the landscape of some of our cities like Tacoma. Suddenly there were a lot of people who really required some some intervention because of their mental state and they were just released. Well, and that goes back to, I mean, you can go back to the, the 80s under Reagan with the closing of a lot of the, the hospitals and, and basically they were just putting people out on the streets. They didn't have adequate aftercare housing for any of these people. Um, and so that has been a, a problem actually nationwide. Yeah. And so so the second thing you have listed um, that, that Jay Inslee could do immediately um, is improve training. Correct. So where that comes from, too, is the staffing unto itself isn't going to solve the problem, because if you just give me, you know, 50 random bodies off the street who don't know how to deescalate someone who's in a mental health crisis, who don't know how to uh, safely restrain someone if it's necessary, who don't know how to uh interact with someone prior to a mental health crisis just to help them get better and help them get well, you know, that takes skill, that takes training. Um, so we say we need more people, but then we also need these people to be adequately trained um, in dealing with those situations. So I'm imagining as well, there, there's a lot of discussion and, and studies around how cross-disciplinary groups can work together to create a safety net within a safety net. Um, how how much of that is going on now and how much more needs to be done? So if I'm understanding you correctly, um, as far as we have within our own, um, within our own system, I guess when you talk about cross-disciplinary, you talk about like psychology, social work, nursing. Yeah, uh, here's an example. Um, when you, uh, for instance, working in, uh, in the past, in my past life, I worked at a retirement community there were seniors that would get urinary tract infections and they would exhibit symptoms of dementia, but it was the UTI that impacted them. So there were people who were for a time institutionalized because they were acting so erratically without the cross-disciplinary kind of people inside, outside social workers um, to, to kind of triangulate on the issues. There have been stories of many people who, were institutionalized and stayed there unhealthily uh, with a UTI, which can often mean other health issues are at play. Right. So again, we have within our system, you know, across again, psychologists, social workers, nurses, both psychiatrists, medical doctors, um, you know, uh, LPNs, MHGs, a whole, whole therapists, you know, a whole yeah like that. And then we do work with uh, community providers with home and community services, uh, what they call the BHOs or the MCOs, which are the outpatient mental health providers through the counties. I don't want to get too into no, jargon, but I like this. But, this is interesting to know that there's that yeah that system. But that also is a is a struggle because you deal with again they're also 
woefully underfunded. Um, and then you also run into the, you know, the NIMBY issues of, you know, we need more housing for these people. And we'll say, okay, here's a place that we want to build a facility. No, no, not there. Cause that's too close to my house. And that, so, and that kind of leads into the third piece, doesn't it? The, the third point, which is that <clears throat> long-term coordinating with external right. and so the third piece, uh, we were actually referring to also the the law enforcement piece. And where that comes from is we've had quite a number of instances where when people have gotten injured, the the perpetrators have have been people who aren't necessarily suffering from mental illness. They were be there to be evaluated. They were fully aware of what they were doing and they simply were acting in a criminal manner um, and have had said, I know that nothing's going to happen to me. I don't care. I'm just going to beat this person up because I can. Um, so we need a coordination with with law enforcement to to handle that. We also need one of the things that's happening is as we move, I mentioned earlier, into a fully forensic system and we're getting more and more people coming from uh, jails, from legal systems. When we get really, really, really violent, aggressive patients um, that the jails themselves will say, we can't handle them because of their, you know, their illness or whatever. But we as a hospital are not equipped to handle that level of, of violence either. So coming up with a plan to where, you know, that person could be housed in, say, a specific mental health wing of a jail that has the safety nets of a jail, but also would have behavioral health providers who could provide those people treatment. Uh, we actually did that in Maryland. There's a, a place called the Patuxent Institute which is a prison under DOC, but it's a specialty mental health prison. So interesting. Now, where do they go now? Uh, if, if they are too dangerous for your facility for Western, that we keep them. We actually had a case a while ago where somebody was so violent and so, uh, had hurt so many people that we, we attempted to send them to the local jail because of the charges, the, the, they came to pick them up and said, nope, we refuse and left and left without that patient. What, where does your, so you, uh, you wrote this uh, piece with Elijah yes. Sachs and they are a rehabilitation counselor from the special commitment center on McNeil Island, which I yes. did not know about. So, so uh, McNeil Island used to be a prison years ago, like a hundred years ago or something. Uh, right? and it wasn't actually that long ago. It was maybe 20, 25 years ago. I don't know okay. exactly, but uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so when it closed, uh, so it's no longer a prison. It's, it's the special commitment center. So that is where, uh, people who are labeled as sexually violent predators. So level three sex offenders, uh, that is where they are housed and treated I gotcha. is the special commitment center. So, uh, special commitment center and Western state are part of the same local within our union ah. and Elijah previously worked at Western prior to working at currently now at special commitment center. And so I just want to break down that third piece a little bit more for the people listening. It's um, so develop a long-term coordination plan with local law enforcement assigned to Washington state's in institutions. Um, improved coordination is urgently needed as behavioral health hospitals like Western move to becoming fully forensic, uh, serving strictly criminal and no civil patients by 2023. And so that's what the distinction I really want to make clear is we're not talking about getting law enforcement involved with with civil patients with with this is to to keep people safe. Right. So, again, we're generally able to tell again, I, I've been assaulted at work. I know 
as much as one can know, you know, when it is someone who, who truly was, uh, in the middle of a psychotic episode was, was paranoid, delusional, who didn't quite know what they were doing or didn't, you know, or lacked impulse control or, or things like that versus someone who was, you know, intentionally planning to, and wanted to injure someone and, and you know, it had what we call volitional control. They knew what they were doing. They just didn't care. Right. Kind of like I, I think of the the example you gave earlier where the guy who you gave the evaluation to and you determined he was fit to stand trial and then he stabbed you. It's something like that. Right. Right. Interesting. So you have been clearly uh, engaged in activism for some time in and uh, as a person who struggled with getting kind of union representation up and running in, was it Baltimore? Maryland, yes. Yes. Um, and now you're here, you're in a union, actively engaged in the union. Yes. Let's talk about the run. What are you doing? So right now, um, again, I'm involved with Council 28. I'm currently on what we call our executive board. So you think about that kind of like Congress of the union, right? So it's- Fancy. Yeah. Congrunion, I think is what um, So, you know, that's- who comes up with uh, budget, you know, passes resolutions, passes amendments when we're outside of convention. convention. How long have you been involved in that position? So I've been an e-board member for two years. E-board is executive, executive board. board. Yes. Gotcha. Um, and as part of my executive board uh, position, I'm also the chair of uh, the Legislative and Political Action Committee within our union. This is, sounds so punishing. It's like the most challenging job representing <laughs> and do, doing, you know, fighting for uh, working class people and then also dealing with legislative issues. That's a lot. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's important. Um, there's a, a joke that a lot of us say because people talk about, oh, why are the unions involved in politics? And especially why is your union in politics? Well, we're state employees. No workforce in this state has more at stake than we do when it comes to the decisions made by the people in Olympia. So of course we're going to be involved in politics, right? Of yeah. course we're going to be involved in legislation because we would be stupid not to. And it just as a matter of making sure that you can take care of your patients and the things that you do day to day, but in addition, not just the people who are legislating, but the people who are voting for those people who, you know, right. like you need to educate. Yeah. And, and, you know, our, our pay scale, our retirement, our health insurance, all of that is part of the governor's budget that has to get passed by elected officials. So yeah, it's important to make sure that so the, you're right in the heart of the this you are part of the beating heart of this particular union in this particular time. That's fascinating. Right. So so yeah. So I do the legislative political action. Um, I'm also on what we call an or the organizing committee, which is again both internal external organizing. So getting uh, people who are in the union already, those people who are saying non-members that we want to get them members. Yeah. Um, people who currently their jobs are not in the bargaining unit, bringing them into the bargaining unit and then also activating, uh, members. So there's a lot of people who are members in the sense that, you know, they pay dues, they're, they're part of it, but they really, they're just, they're not involved, which is fine. Some people are busy and all that kind of stuff. But if you can find a way to like, Hey, I don't need you to do everything, but you know, can you be involved in this letter writing campaign? Can you be involved in this rally? Can, you know, whatever may be just activating those people because that's, again, where that power comes from. Again, like you were saying, state workers have so much at stake. It, it doesn't make sense to not get involved. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, what kind of steps do you take to bring those people? Like, what, what are the materials? How do you do that? So a lot of it really comes down to just one-on-one -on -one conversations and communication. Again, like talking about earlier, hey, you're not a member. Is there a reason why? What is it that, you know, is there something that, could make you want to join. 
Um, and then the people who join, but who aren't, again, aren't really active. Is it a, is it a time issue? Is it a, you just don't care, you know, but again, talking to them and finding out what their issues are and then having them kind of organize and rally around those specific issues. So I, I like that we've talked about sort of the gen, your, right. your origin story and, and how you got here. And then we talked about sort of the foundational work of getting people activated, uh, doing the work of organizing the organizers. Um, talk to me about this particular race. You're running against a human, I'm presuming. Yes. And so I'm running against uh, our incumbent president. Um, her name is Judy. Um, Hi, Judy. Hi, Judy. Yeah. Just and- Judy. Judy Kuschel. Judge Judy. Judge um, Judy. <laughs> and Judy, you know, and I've, I've told her this to her face and I've told this to a lot of people. I like Judy as a person, right? So I'm not running in a, in a sense because I, you know, I think she's a bad person or but anything. that's not good like enough that. anymore. Right. Exactly. I, everyone should be challenged. Right. So, you know, and it, it really comes down to a, a difference in vision, um, meaning I'm someone who, again, I'm talking about, I'm seeing it every day, right? I'm seeing what's going on with uh, our members across the state. Whereas uh, as part of being president, that's your full-time job, but that takes you out of the workforce. So you're not with them every day. Interesting. So so Judy is working full-time for the union she's uh how, how does that how do you justify like what what are they do what is the president doing are they still a member of the union are they employed or they- so they're still they're a member of your union you basically think about it like a sabbatical from your your actual state job uh while you're serving as union president that's actually part of our contract right ah, gotcha. um and then you do they're depending on who the president is it will depend on what exactly the president's job is. I mean, you're involved with staffing, you're involved with bargaining contracts. Um, so you really have, you're really steering this organization in a direction, like you are responsible. Yes. Yeah. But it, it's another example of incumbent uh, advantage that we see in, in races all the time, just like with Sarah's race against Adam. Yeah. Um, you know, Adam had been in, in Congress for 22 years. And so because of that, he wasn't on the ground with working class people and he doesn't understand the struggle of people in the ninth district. And then there's Sarah, who is a working class person in, in the area. Um, and that does give her a lot of strengths and being able to represent people. But when it comes to campaigning, it's really fucking hard. Well, the right. other, yeah, one of ask you this as well mike and this is applies to sarah too um sarah younger than the the typical uh candidate you know you you see folks like adam smith and he's kind of a a grayish colored gentleman uh who has been around for some time and i mean skin he doesn't have any hair so um and that isn't i'm not uh, casting aspersions i worry for his health um you look younger than I would imagine, uh, you know, somebody running for this position is, is, am I wrong to presume that you are true? That's correct. Um, I, most of our previous presidents have been people that move into that role towards the end of their career, tend to retire from their, from those positions. They don't return back to the workforce. Wait, what they're, so they they become president (laughs) of the union at, at the end of their career. Uh, this is something. How long has she been the? So she's um she was previously our vice president. So she had been vice president for I believe four years, six years. Um, and then is currently our president now. Um, so how long are those terms? Two year terms. 
Okay, so she ran. So she was she's vice had a couple president. Terms. She's had yeah. a couple terms. Well, one or two, and in two very key roles as a vice president, leader job as well. Yes, president you, and vice president. Are you running with a vice? So we don't. It's not a ticket. So there's a, a handful of people who are also running for vice president. One of them being uh, Elijah Sachs, the person that okay. we mentioned okay. earlier. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Um, but there's a lot of other people too. But it's. Um, but you're you know, not here to advocate, but you are here to say that she has been in this role, this ad, right. end, end of career role. Mm-hmm. How removed is she from the reality of day to day? So, and that's, you know, and again, I, I, I hesitate to say in the sense of, I don't want to make it sound like I'm talking bad about her. Cause I don't fair, think, fair, I don't yeah. think that she, you know, it's not an intentional thing. It's just when you when you are that far removed from the work site, naturally you're you're not going to be as in touch with the day to day, what's going on with the workers. And that's on me because I'm in the Sarah V. Adam headspace, and I'm getting very like worked up about the man, you know, like that right. thing. But the reality is, you're not. So I, I, right. this is different. Yeah, and and like I said, I Judy, I like as a person. I just think her vision of where we need to go is, is very different than mine. Um, I think that we need to be a lot more uh, worker focused, a lot more membership rank and file focused and and doing a lot more listening to those voices. Um, what I've been telling people is, you know, my job as president is not going to be to tell them what their issues are. It's to be to listen to what their issues are and then provide them with the resources they need to address those issues. And I mean, I think one of the things, too, is if if the current president was advocating um, adequately for, for you guys, then that wouldn't be a problem. But it sounds like these three things that you're asking for Jay Inslee to do, um, is she advocating for those sort of things? So and that's, again, where the issue comes in is that we haven't been getting from our, our council leadership, um, Judy and, and the rest and what we feel is enough advocating for those kind of issues for also, again, going back to the the pay issues, you know, the fact that, um, you know, Harborview UW is paying their employees nothing. They're a horrendous employer. They treat their employees like crap, you know, and wow, using when you're the president of that large of a union, you have more influence you can hold Jay Inslee accountable. You can hold, you know, university presence accountable. Um, but you have to be willing to do that. And, you know, I'm not someone who's going to kick someone's door down and, and walk in and, you know, punch them in the face or something like that. Right. Yes. You want to be cordial. You want to be diplomatic, but there also comes a point where you have to understand your job is to fight for your members. And if that pisses off the powerful, well then so be it. Uh- Go ahead. No, no, please. I was just going to say that's the, that's kind of what I was go- looking at is that it seems like she might not be willing to ruffle the feathers that need to be ruffled. Correct. That's my interpretation. Yes. Yeah. And that's uh, it's a running theme in 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 the world of sort of ruling class folk, um, the, the establishment um, folks who are in the establishment take that as an insult. Um they should probably do some personal work on why people would be upset. They're in there for 24, 23, 24 years. It's time for a fresh perspective. But I want to ask you, I, I'm I'm stuck in this, the the lens of a running a political campaign, and it's different than the campaign you're on. What are, what are the things, what do you do that are similar? So it's similar in that, you know, you do campaigning, right? You get out, you talk to voters, you, you, uh, 
instead of door knocking, you go to local meetings, you know, things like that. And um, people just, uh, you got a donations page and we can send them to that and no, is no, it? Oh, no. Okay. So, um, that's not it, it, which is good in a way. Cause I know, uh, from what I've heard, that's probably the worst part of regular political campaigns is trying to raise money. <sighs> so I'm glad to not have to do that. Um, but, but it is a lot of the same kind of, um, uh, politicking, politicking, um, what I've been telling people is because I, I am working my full-time job while I'm campaigning, while I'm doing the other things, um, my path vic- to victory is basically to out hustle and out organize. And just every free moment that I have, I'm, if I'm not at a local meeting, I'm on the phone with a delegate or I'm emailing someone or I'm texting someone or, so you know, you're going to this event. This is the the big convocation. What is it called? It's, conven- it's called the convention. <laughs> I don't know why I had to make it more difficult, but go on. So at the convention, uh, so every local uh, sends delegates. Uh, these delegates go to the convention and then they will vote for the president. And so are you are you shaking hands and giving out buttons and T-shirts and so not T-shirts because those are really expensive. Yeah, <laughs> um, but we will have buttons and stickers and flyers and all of those kind of things that you, you're paying for on your own. Yes. Union made, of course. Ah, I gotcha. You <laughs> said something about your buttons earlier, right? Yes. So because my last name is really long, um, putting Yastramski on a button would make it either really tiny, which no one would be able to read. Right, really long. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or it would be a button that would take up my entire chest. So, <laughs> or a circular sort of the spiral name. Yes. Yeah. So to simplify it, and because I have a very phonetic, easy to remember name, uh, my buttons will simply say vote yes for Yastrzemski. Hey, I oh. like that. That's and voting, clever. And yes, meaning also, you know, can we make changes? Yes. Can we, you know, get the governor to actually make action yes i like that branding i, I like do too mm-hmm. mike we could sit here and talk to you for hours and you know we have to this point you know <laughs> yeah. It, yeah um i i want to can we sort of put a bow on this by way of people that hear this right why should they care and what should they do if they do care so people that hear this should care because within our current system unions are really the best way to ensure that workers have a voice and that there is some sense of fairness within our economic system. Um, Without that, you're just going to see a a larger chasm between the haves and the have nots. You're going to see people working even longer hours for even less money, more hazardous, more hazardous, you know, less benefits, uh, no retirement, you know, any of those things that used to be you know, kind of standard, right? Like everybody, you just, you work somewhere for 30 years and, you know, you could afford to have a house and go to the beach every other year or the something. American dream. Right. We don't have that anymore. And if you look, there is a really strong correlation between the decline in unions and the decline in that being the, the reality for most Americans, right? So the way that you bring that back um, is through union membership. And a little bit of an aside on yeah. that too, one of the things that that Wolfsey specifically, but a lot of unions, but I, I can speak to mine, we represent a large uh, amount of people who are from marginalized groups, who are immigrants, um, and who, because of having the union and having those job opportunities, have had an opportunity to move up uh, within society that they might not have otherwise been able to. 
good point. So unions really, I mean, I, I, this is one of the things that I really love about the whole idea is unions have been fighting in many cases for the marginalized communities before society was. Right. Well, so as an example, too, with the, the where you tie in unions and like civil rights, um, one of the things that a lot of people don't know is when Martin Luther King was assassinated, he was actually assassinated at uh, a union rally. It was an AFSCME union rally. It was the Memphis sanitation strike. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I actually met, uh, I, I spoke at the international AFSCME convention last year in Boston. Um, and on the same day that I was speaking, they had a couple of the, the living, uh, the people who were still alive, who were part of the sanitation strike that were with, wait, that were there with Dr. But, Martin Luther yes. King? Not when he was shot, but who were there as part of the, they were at the event. Yes. Okay. Um, and who had started the strike, the people who really pushed the city of Memphis to recognize, wow the union, all of that kind of, and so getting to hear them and listen to their stories and kind of what they had to go through. It also, it gives me a, a bit of that extra push too. when I'm kind of tired, I've worked all day and then I've been out campaigning that I've been doing this and I'm like, okay, but these people literally someone tried to kill them. So I need to kind of just suck it up and keep going. Cause my, mine's not nearly as hard as what they fought for. Right? And it's that important that people will fight life or death to be a part of that. That's the danger. I mean, right. that's, that's heavy. Yeah, so that's why people should care. So then the second part of your question, what can people do to get involved? So if you're in uh, you know, a, a unionized workplace, seek out your shop stewards, seek out your, your council reps, get involved. If you're not in a unionized workplace and you would like to be, contact me, I can help you with that. However, be careful because I don't want to get you fired because a lot of <laughs> bosses do not like when people start unionizing. So you have to be very cautious about how we do that. Um, Maybe but we, don't use your work email. Yeah. 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 So um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they'll find reasons to let you go, even though it is ostensibly illegal to like. So technically that is illegal. That's an unfair labor practice. But, you know, under the current regime's uh, labor relations board, I, I don't know that you would likely get a favorable rating. Or, right, you know, within that. So but if someone did reach out to you, you'd be able to provide them with some information and understanding and they wouldn't, you wouldn't like share it with the world. It would be no, I would simply say we're doing a live stream about it. Actually. Right. Yeah. 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 So call it during the live stream. Give <laughs> yeah. us your name, Full names, where you address, where your boss is. Number, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, um, no, but I, I would direct them to someone who could help them organize. Um, there are people who are way better at organizing than me that that is their full-time job. So yeah. I would, you know, and they also know how to avoid those pitfalls and make sure that again, you don't get fired They'll, or anything like that. Because they have a historical precedent for, yeah. Right. Yeah, interesting. Um, and then the other thing that just any average citizen can do is, you know, support union businesses. Um, hey. Right. You know, so, and, and make it known that you are supporting union businesses. Um, one of the things that, I know no one writes checks anymore, but as an example, oh, yeah, those are things, right? But as an example, um, I, people would, people who were union workers would get their checks and, you know, under the memo section, it would say, you know, paid for with a union job or, you know, union funds or, or things like that, just to kind of send a little message of like, Hey, you know, Interesting. We're, we're behind that. Um, Take moments in your life to recognize how important unions are and, and to incorporate let, it. And if you write a check that says that and the boss sees that and sees like, oh, this is someone who also supports a union, you know, say to the grocery store, that's a union grocery store. You know, again, just having that solidarity, not crossing picket lines being a big one. Um, you know, just uh, as we're recording this earlier today, 
there was a tentative agreement uh, reached with Fred Meyer, um, who we did, we as in the labor community had been boycotting because of some unfair labor practices that they had committed. Um, I was actually marching with the UCFW, who is the grocery checkers uh, workers up in Tacoma just last week, again, over this issue. So supporting the other unions in that is also incredibly important. So here's something too, that people could do. And what's exciting is the notion that you can, you don't have to be in that union or in a union to support union uh, workers who are on strike. We we marched in the, uh, when we were, um, uh, supporting teachers who were on strike, uh, in Chuck Willa and it, it was awesome, like to see the people who drive by, bus drivers, uh, all, all these people who you it, it kind of painted the world in a different color and shape. You're like the connective tissue is union people, right? And yeah, and if you see people on strike, bring them some water, bring them some donuts, you Give know, them a things honk, like don't that. Flip right. them off. We got a couple of people who flipped us off. Yeah, unfortunately, some people are jerks, but most people flipping are off most teachers. people are okay. Like what? <laughs> he was so shocking. Rude. It was just so rude. Maybe they like failed spelling or something, and they were still holding on. They're to like, that. I and, hate lunch. Math right, sucks. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, <laughs> I mean that that really, it it really comes down to like I said, at the end of the day. A, the labor movement is really, it's a common phrase, workers' rights are human rights are civil rights, right? Yes. And that's what we need to understand is if we want to be able to help people move forward, that is the that is the mechanism that we do that is, uh, you know, keeping the, the labor movement that already exists, strengthening it, expanding it. Uh, what an amazing intersectional discussion we've had because it kind of goes back to what Jay was talking about, the idea that we build capacity for people to engage and the world's a better place. So get engaged. Uh, I love it. Mike, um, having this conversation has been very illuminating. I want to talk more about unions and and all of that stuff. Uh, any final kind of questions? or Yeah. How can people contact you or follow your race? So um – you can look me up on Facebook. We'll Very actually cool. provide some con- or contact information uh, in the show notes for sure. But uh, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. So you'll look get me up tens on Facebook. of new friends. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's going to be the easiest way. That's where I've been, you know, trying to keep up with everything um, because that's free and that doesn't cost money to create a face, you know, a, a website that otherwise strictly for a campaign. Yeah. Uh, plus, people wouldn't go to that. People go to the Facebook, so that's the easiest way. And I'm also, again, I'm someone who. I, I give out my, you know, my email address, anything like that. And I, and I love to just talk to people. Um, even the people that I know in this race aren't supporting me. For instance, I've been reaching out to just to make sure that I can still, I still want to have those conversations. Right. And you're a junior, just to be clear. Correct. Yeah. So you don't send it to my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because my dad and I share a name too. Right. And so it's, it's confusing. <laughs> um, I'm really excited just because I, we have a fucked up broken system, but this I think is a really good example of ways that people can build power and continue to organize and exert that power back, right? Because I think too often we have a system where healthcare isn't provided to people and so you can't leave your job. And so you are forced into this zero, it's not even a zero sum game, it's a lose-lose game for you, wherein your employer wins and you get nothing. And so I think this is where unions are powerful. So it's a fantastic, it's been great just listening here. And like, that's why I've been so quiet. I've just been enraptured to listening to you talk about it. And I think this is great. So anybody who's on the fence about unions, uh, 
you know what? Be on the fence about it, but you got to recognize at least one thing, which is this is how we can take power right now. Right. And this is great. And and to kind of touch back on your original uh, the article about you know democracy even right uh, a union really is at its core it is democracy right it's you have a local any member can show up to that local meeting any member can decide at that local meeting I'm going to run for office I'm going to vote for this person for office I can be involved um, so it, you really do have an opportunity for grassroots you know, change to, to really control what that looks like. Um, one of the things I wish we had, and we'll probably do this in the future is a camera because there's things that happen <laughs> that you can't see. And when you were talking about this issue, uh, corn went into like a finger gun salute. It was like an 80,000 <laughs> finger gun. It was amazing. Awesome. Pew, 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 pew. It was like, pew, pew, pew. Oh, joy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other piece of this is the idea that this is, democracy in action it is creating power because you exist you're valid because you exist in this role you get to speak to your safety and your uh what is fair compensation and all of that and unions are a part of that and there'll be a lot of people who oh unions are corrupt and well you know humans are fallible uh right. any system we create will there's no perfect system um but I, there's so much more to unpack will you come back and have dialogue Definitely. with us okay. sure um, one last thing I just want to point you even bet. going back to the democracy piece because you're va like you said because you're a human it doesn't even matter what your job is so I'm a social worker uh, someone who's a custodian someone who's a psychologist someone who's an LPN someone who's a food service worker every single one of them has the exact same vote at our local as I you know we, all of our votes count the same all of our voices count the same Right. And, and understanding that, um, I think is, is really huge, but yeah, I would love to come back. Um, we have to have you back cause so, I really want to kind of, it'll, yeah. it'll be coming back for the, the victory party, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Officially a podcast pal. All right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Official podcast pal. Do I get pal. a sticker? You do. Okay. We, yeah. I'll a large button. Awesome. You get a really large button cause you're union made. You, yes. It'll be a union your button. Name. It will be your full name. Your middle name is, what was it? Barbara Flabber. Yeah. That, and yeah. junior. We're including Jun the junior too. Yes. Full junior yeah. though. We're going to give you the full not jr period yeah. oh wow so yeah that'll be awesome <laughs> very cool so a lot to think about wow jay we gotta do something to i think it's time for i still got a button maker we could make them some buttons do you have the button maker yeah. i've been you... asking you for that fucking just... button maker you're lying <laughs> you have... i just found it it was in the garage nice. right it was yeah, did you find i know things? it was i'm missing a stone bowl for my beep and bop <laughs> i do have a stone bowl of yours <laughs> and i have a phone charger for you so do you we should probably have talked about that not on air but here we yeah. are it's very interesting <laughs> for our it. listeners yeah yeah uh, awesome <laughs> i just wanted to say thanks for coming in yeah, yeah. and, and thanks for having me I, I really enjoyed being up here this is awesome i do want to love just talking shop with people too so that's always yeah. and you're phenomenal mm -hmm. but you did this like you you approached us we were passionate but it's you know it, it just shows having the dialogue having the discussion no matter what the platform means people get to hear you and unite and around important ideas yeah and so, again, if, if you're listening and you want to talk to us about any of the things, hit us up. Absolutely. Hit us up on uh, Facebook, uh, Better Left Cast. You'll find us by searching that. Um, also, we're on Instagram. Also, we're on Twitter. And we're all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Time to cleanse some palettes. Cleanse my palettes. Uh, my understanding is that you've prepped something, Troy. Well, so you all took the quiz, yes? Yes. Yes. And I have... 
absorbed so much information that I am just ready to cleanse my mind. Do we want using this garbage? No, I, I did take. Oh, the quiz. oh, you did take it. Okay, good. Yes. Uh, using this garbage, which garbage are you using to cleanse your mind? Um, the quiz. Oh, yeah, the quiz is. I saved a screenshot I, of my results. Gotcha. Oh, That's I a phenomenal. Yeah, thing. yeah. So here's the idea. I've been uh, wanting us to do a personality test, and, and uh, Mike, you're going to participate as well. So what we did is this is the uh, we went to uh, openpsychometrics.org. It is a collection of. Uh, personality measurements and quizzes and all of that which we can argue not necessarily that this should be entertaining it's just for funsies insightful uh, but it's not like a jokey like for legal disclaimer i'm not officially diagnosing anyone today <laughs> yes. doh please don't do anything with my license however i am because i am not a psychologist <laughs> and yes <laughs> I, but I am very official at times. Oh yeah, I probably, yeah. I, he was wagging his official finger at us. I probably should have said that earlier too. Um, just any opinions given by me are the opinions only of Michael Ustramsky, not of Western State Hospital, DSHS, Wolfsey, AFSME, or any other agency. Thank you for that disclaimer. That will maybe suit like plug into the beginning or something. We'll yeah, figure yeah, it out. Right. But uh, yeah, that's. I important. think as long as it's in there somewhere, we're good, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Now you're here just to hang out. We're just right. all pals doing some <laughs> podcast palette. pals. Yeah, yeah, we're palate cleansing pals. Mm -hmm. Ooh. So the idea oh, is this is the big five personality test. It's a series of questions that uh, it's called the IPIP IPIP IP, Big Ooh. Five Factor <laughs> Markers, and it's a personality personality test that was used uh, in academic psychology. If you take a college course uh, on uh, personality psychology, this is kind of what you learn about. Now, do you have any professional thoughts, however, on this personality test? Um, I mean, trash. Well, it's an online <laughs> test, right? Like they're all, yeah. uh, you know, what's funny though, along the, not to get too down in the rabbit hole. So the, for the longest time, the whole Myers-Briggs personality, you know, the yes. ENFPs yes. and all that kind of stuff was kind of the, the standard. Right. And then recently there's been a lot of research done on that. That's like, yeah, that's trash too. And culturally not relevant to many people. Sounds right. like my whole business degree is garbage. Are you suggesting that Carl <laughs> Jung may not have known what he was talking about? Because that's what I'm getting the impression of right now. A little bit. A little bit. All right. People do it. They adhere to it. Um, there's definitely, you fall into a category of stuff, but there's so many external forces that quite call into question, but also it's like a astrology chart. Like, well, and I, I've actually taken the test a million times because between under grad and grad school and just various like yeah and my scores are all over the place because it depends on what kind of mood i'm in that day right. and, you yes. know, like, but like i don't know about you but in business school they would literally be like okay we're forming teams based on your personality test so would they disperse you evenly yeah, or so, would you so all be, be like the every team has a driver every team has a whatever whatever and it's just like the environmental factors there are so wildly different. Like you said, environmentally, you could feel really sick that day. But I'm sure those teams were very productive. Trash. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that wasn't the word I was expecting. Wow. <laughs> so the questions here are things like you are basically uh, you disagree. It's it's a five point spread. So you're like uh, either you disagree. It's less. I disagree eh, less with that. Eh. And then neutral. I just have no feeling on it. I kind of agree. And I only agree. 
just that definitive because life can be measured in a scale of one through five. And so what are a couple of the questions? So, there was like, what, 30-ish? Yeah, maybe? actually more maybe. Uh, but a lot. It seems ask, like, many I'm, questions. I like to talk to people, I think yeah. was one of them. I have and... a soft heart. I often forget to put things back in their proper place, which that's I, honestly, me. I feel attacked. Yeah, um, same. <laughs> I change my mood a lot. I shirk my duties. Now, that's the negative stuff, but it does talk about things like I feel others' emotions. I follow a schedule. I am. Anybody have any questions or like, or challenges with the way the questions were asked. I'm just going to throw out, I definitely forgot to answer the very last question and realize it as I clicked the button and it did not care. So I'm throwing this out there. <laughs> Rude. It very clearly states on the website at openpsychometrics.org, which sounds a little Scientology-ish. Um, and this also <laughs> seems very pop kind of science uh, psychology. So none of this should be taken as any kind of serious. Right. Yeah. One of them was I use difficult words and I'm like, nope, not well, me. And but, it's funny. But, one of the shortly after that, one of the other questions was like, I am. And it said some word that I didn't even know what it meant. Yeah. So I just skipped that one. <laughs> neutral. I felt neutral about that one. Well, I love the difficult words for who. Right. And what does like, that mean? Yeah. yeah. Does it mean like I, I'm challenging you and I'm, I'm it's a it's a difficult like I'm a difficult human. So that's just, you know, or yeah. is it you don't understand it or like those words might be really difficult for my dog. Right. But less so. Don't say for that myself. about Virgil. They are very difficult. Ooh, for Virgil. He knows one and that's worry. And yeah, that's true. What about or, Homer? Homer is just chill. I think that's the only word he knows. My dog understands dinner. We actually my wife and I will say it is time for the D word. Ooh. Which, okay, yeah. but because if we say dinner, okay, it's Anyways. time for the D word. Close the door. Because if you say dinner or breakfast, the dog will come flying into the kitchen, and all twelve pounds of her will knock you down. Not much of a lunch dog, though. Well, no, well, she only eats twice a day. Dogs right. are smart. So, yeah, yeah. Just are try they? to make sure you do the Seattle thing and only eat brunch. And it'll be better off. Ah, I yeah. gotcha. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. the other B word. Um, okay, so <laughs> we we took this. One of the problems I had with that, like, so I use difficult words is so skewed towards what does that, that means? Like, you are purposefully torturing the people around you. Um, the the pre supposition that somebody is too dumb and I'm just using difficult words because I just it helps me to use stupid right so is it measuring like your intelligence or is it measuring how shitty of a human it's measuring your pretentiousness scale right okay thank you well I'm off the charts (laughs) yes you are (laughs) okay so the break so we all took it before uh, before we started the podcast and it breaks it down into five factors Extroversion, emotional stability, hmm. agreeableness, conscientiousness, and intellect slash imagination. So do we want to like each go through each one and talk about what it is and then how we scored? So yeah, let's start with factor one and corn, you can go first. But so basically factor one was labeled as extroversion by the developers of this test and it's sometimes given other names such as surgency which i like actually or positive emotionality whoa individuals who score high on factor one are outgoing social individuals who score low tend to be shut-ins <laughs> okay yeah that and so sense. is it so stark <laughs> is it out of a hundred is that what's happening uh, yeah. yes it is sorry okay. yeah okay so i'm a 23 what wow that doesn't surprise me not even a little bit why? A what are you guys? That's shocking to me. What are you guys? A 92. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm an 81. Yeah. 
I'm the quietest out of everyone, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. I laugh so hard, but, and yeah, you're always but, so engaged. But, but again, I'm I'm a therapist. I'm an organizer. Like, I I am but the I talk are my to therapist, everyone. Corn. Yeah, but like, okay, think about it. Th- this is like fam, and like when I'm yeah, with you guys, yeah. I'm very loud and open and stuff. But like, if it's a bunch of people, I don't know. Like, I'm hanging towards the back. The only person Corn hangs out regularly, other than us, is Sully. Yeah, and that's true. Exactly. She yeah. sent us photos of Sully on the bed. Sully <laughs> that's sitting true. with her smoking weed. Sully <laughs> staring at the tree. Sully will hold a joint in his pot. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's yeah. animal abuse. She doesn't Don't do that, say that about my son. My score is um, 97. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. 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 Yikers. Wait, wait, wait. Can I guess your lowest score? Uh, yes. I'm going to go with conscientiousness so part of what i was going to do is preface that i was going to do a pre-recording of this um i knew that jay was going to say your lowest score but yes sir it was indeed conscientious yes. awesome. yes, score uh was yours um agreeableness no it's actually conscientiousness but it's <gasps> interesting shockingly low wait okay well let's let's go to factor two real quick hold on yeah, yeah. so w- are we counting low by the bar or yeah, the, by the percentile because like the last one. one is big but it's my lowest do you see what i mean Ooh, interesting well so mine is still okay. the same the, okay. my bar and the the raw score is the same as my percentile so raw score okay. to this just look at my last one so. oh yeah this the numbers on the right are percentiles so that tells you where you rank compared to other people oh okay. gosh right. okay, okay great well okay. then interesting okay so if you look at mine it's still the same like yeah. I'm weird. But okay, so I'm in. You're in the 97th percentile. That's what it's does that mean? That means me. that most people are extroverted. Is that what it's saying? That it's doesn't saying that, no. and then minus... he, that says that he's more extroverted than 97 okay, percent right. of. Okay, the there we go. Yeah. Okay, so feel... wow, that's okay. So really good. Yeah, I, or, or is, is it? it of the people? <laughs> yeah, who, is I think it? it's, yeah. of the people who took the <laughs> test. Right, right. Where uh, are these baselines call into question based off of? Right. These, yeah. Okay. So let's look at factor two, which is emotional stability. Factor two is often referred to by other names, such as neuroticism. Oh, well, that explains Rude. my high score. Uh, <laughs> negative emotionality, um, and uh, so uh, let's see. I'm not going to talk about all that stuff, but so emotional stability is more of this catch-all, but. Um, Jay, let's start. Let's go around the other way. What is your what's your emotional stability? I'm in the 70th percentile. Ah. I'm I'm fairly emotionally stable, (laughs) which is true. Actually, it is. It is really true. I have emotions, (laughs) but they are stable. They are. Yeah. Yeah. You are the least likely to pop off, whereas the rest of us are popping off all the time. (laughs) That may not be true, but I understand. I yeah. I'm just saying, like it's a slower burn. Mike, I want to I want to know where you fall. Uh, 81st percentile. Wow. (laughs) What are, what's your score? I'm 22. Oh no. (laughs) I'm 66. Well, you won that one. Yeah. Or something. Or did she? Yeah. 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 Okay. So the next one, factor three is agreeableness. agreeableness. So it's labeled as agreeableness. A person with a high, I'm not going to do this. You're either friendly and optimistic or you are critical and aggressive. Yeah. Um, corn. Uh, no, I want to know what Jay got. I oh. wanted to end on that. <laughs> okay. but, you know, okay. no, let you go, go yeah. for it. I mean, uh, I mean they, yeah. I, I, well, I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where <laughs> I was leading this. This is not the intention. Like, honestly, that was not what, uh, yeah, go. I'm in just... the 30th percentile. Wow. Yeah. Ah. Okay. I, I'm 62. 
Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm um, I, I'm 89 percent. 93. Wow. Wow. You, we got some great guys around here. But it's also the role you play. It's interesting. Right. There is some. There's some something here. So fun little aside. Yeah. One of my coworkers actually refers to me as Father Mike because every time we're outside, random people will come up to me and just confess to me all of their like life story. Dude. And, and she'll be like, do you know that person? I'm like, nope, Dude. no idea who they are. I will walk into a party, a situation, and within seconds will gravitate to the person who is the most struggling and will, I, not on purpose, I'm not looking for it, but I'll just sit and uncover. It's so weird. Troy attracts all the broken humans they for sure. Just come. Yeah. You know, it's really funny because I too can spot the most struggling person because I will avoid <laughs> those. Exactly. You run away. It's so weird. I don't look for them on purpose. Like I, I that is okay. So here's, I want to clarify. Um, I'm speaking as though pejoratively, I'm not being negative about folks. I'm just saying that for some reason I can gravitate. I, I, People will gravitate to me or gravitate to them because you're not out, Mike, you know, with a picket sign saying, come to me with your problems. No. They just <laughs> appear. I think, so I have a theory on that. Okay. So part of my theory is because of the job that I do, um, people look for for body language, right? Oh. And they give off a little bit of like, hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I'm broken. And other people, humans tend to pick up on that and then they will give a slightly sort of closed for business type gotcha. vibe. I don't think, and you I don't. think I don't. So then people are like, oh, they take that as I a can cue. engage. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense to me. Would you like some tips? That can help. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you happy being that person? I'm I'm fairly happy, yeah. So am I, yeah. 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 All right, okay. I think I'd be bad at my job too if that, uh, if you know. Right. So, yeah, just see. <laughs> so are you saying so, that so far this is a factual test? I will say that we can, much like my astrological sign, pick out reasons to believe that this applies. But there's some interesting stuff here. Um, all right. So we move on to factor four, which is conscientiousness. <laughs> I will say it's my lowest score. Also my lowest score. Yes. Uh, people who score high on this care about stuff that belongs where they picked it up <laughs> rather than what I do, which is just sort of lose it. Um, what is your scorecard? Mine is 18. Oh, no. oh wow. wow. Which I, like, I don't feel like that's super accurate. I feel like I'm somewhat disorganized, but I'm not super impulsive. I don't feel so bad about my score anymore. I yeah. don't either, actually. <laughs> I feel like we need to cork your forks or something. Yeah. <laughs> we need to run with scissors. Yeah. and Yeah, yeah. Okay. Jay? Uh, I scored in the 22nd percentile. <gasps> you did? Yeah. I would expect you to be more. You're so that's bossy, I mean. but he's got, yeah. but that because he's got all the stuff in the garage. Oh yeah, that's true. That was yeah. it. Not anymore. That was a year ago. I threw it all out. I keep hearing that, but I. <laughs> okay. Anyway, sixty-two. All right. Wow. Oh, I was thirty-six. Okay. <laughs> well, you and me, sis. Yeah. All right. So I'm the most organized out of all of us. That's kind yeah. of. That's kind of scary. Well, you know, let's all go down together. Uh, the final factor is intellect fear. and immense fear. This one's factor. just rude. Well, so here's what's interesting. Intellect and imagination are those things that are, I mean, Jay, you're a, a psychiatrist. Uh, what is the- <laughs> Ecologist. Uh, as you're an ecologist. What is the um, oncologist, proctologist? Uh, you, just ecologist. Is there, a, is there, for anybody at the table, um, is there a correlation between being smart and being, you know, imaginative? Yes. This, that's actually true. In fact, 
you can predict somebody's success at their job almost universally just based off of IQ. Just be, uh, so IQ as it relates to, so imagination quotient or like, I'm just trying to see, like, are they one-to-one? I, I guess I don't see a substantive difference between the what two What he's saying, I get what you're saying is that it's like, there's some people who might be like book smart and then other people who are like super creative and imaginative. And yeah. it's like, those aren't necessarily connected or the same thing. Right. But so the argument is that there's some kind of underlying intelligence factor that's going on there. Even, even if it's not expressed with academic knowledge. Uh, so it's how they're defining imagination in this in the context of yeah. like capacity. I'm pretty critical of this one because I think this is one it's self reported right. because they, they use questions like, "Do you think of new ideas? That's yeah. true. Right. Are you great? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Exactly. So I'm pretty critical of this one just to begin with, but yeah, yeah. Interesting no, association. Anyway, but. I think one of the questions was literally like, "Are you imaginative?" <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But then to be if you're like, "No, <laughs> yeah. I'm not imaginative." Neutral. Yeah, I'm just neutral. Then you just are a blank right. slate. Yeah, because yeah, I've seen some really creative stoners, and they've made some mm-hmm. really creative. Amazing. Just are you bombs. saying that we're not smart? I think there are some stoners who are not Rude. smart. Yeah. Well, no, I think applied Rude. in the right way. I've seen ornate, like the most incredible, like bongs made out of Tupperware and baby Jesus, Jesus, yeah, baby Jesus's, right. yeah, uh, with. <laughs> Like it went through ice and it went through, you know, tubing and then, you know, took over the whole living room and they got a puff out of it. You know, it was that's that's pretty ingenious. And like, OK, <laughs> not that I'm 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 not judging, you know, any uh, anybody who likes to do that or whatever. But another little I joke of hated. mine. I always say I wish I could. I don't, I don't judge. I'm a social worker. We don't judge. We just assess. Thank you. So <laughs> That's actually worse. I thought we weren't, yeah, I thought we weren't doing any assessments tonight. Um, it makes the assessment more scary because, but, yeah. um, no, but there is a part of me though, when I, I look at stuff like that and I think like, yeah, that took a lot of skill and a lot of, and you know, it did take a lot of skill and, and energy and intelligence. And imagine if that was channeled into you know, I don't know, like cancer research. Okay, or, so this you know? is why they're calling you Father Mike. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So I'll share my score. Um, I scored in the whopping 65th percentile, but I will point out the raw score is like super far to the right. And so that just tells you most people report themselves as being smart and imaginative. Yeah, because I scored sure. 70 and it's like way not. over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, and mine is low. I'm 11%. No. Because I was like self-deprecating and honest <laughs> that's probably. why i think the questions are framed like are yeah remember when i asked you i was like well i asked you when it was wait am i but i'm looking at a thing and i'm like oh my my self-esteem is a little low on this i'm gonna right. vote what people yeah. might think of me you know yeah. wow, sorry wow. i hate myself so i'm 95 <laughs> wow yeah Whoa. so i'm a genius and <laughs> i'm extroverted about so it. i think what this really is tracking is the level of conceit the person has narcissism and actually one of the things that's really interesting here is the dunning kruger effect would predict that people who report themselves higher are dumber yeah and so. i'm here for that i'm a dumb dumb and i say it run the reg um but now that this has totally redefined who i am as a person i am now a member of um mensa mensa are you gonna, are you gonna like print it out and uh put a it in a certificate frame on your yes wall? exactly no, put it on a button remember oh yeah. yeah yeah we can do that i'm gonna put it on a button i like it yeah cool very cool and then cool, you guys. can just like hand it out to people Yes, yeah. I'm sorry. Hi, have you met me? I am. So, uh, so random story, which I have a lot of, which you guys will hear now that we're now that we're besties. We lots are. Of yeah. yeah. Um, years ago, uh, a buddy of mine from college, the two of us decided to uh, 
answer an ad for a free week of training at a Baltimore professional wrestling school. Oh, <laughs> I want to do that. Um, yeah. Which that actually isn't the funny part of the story. The funny part oh. of the story is uh, after we're done, uh, one of the other guys who's there, who seems you know relatively average, normal, regular guy, comes up very, very intensely and says, I want you to know I graduated high school. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay. Same, bro. I was like, <laughs> like, like recently or like, is that? Yeah, out of context, you're like, okay. And he was like, no, no, I did. I graduated high school. And I was like, okay, cool. Good for you. And then he, he goes to his gym bag and comes back and hands me his high school diploma. Oh, wow. And I was like, I, I believed I believe you. you, bro. Like you don't have to. But he was like really insistent that I, I read his high school diploma that he why? he actually graduated. Did you find out why? Or is this one of those people who are a little broken that gravitated to your personality? I, I think that may have been it. But he also told us that he was at the pro wrestling school because he was um, practicing jumping off his roof at home and decided that the school oh. was Parkour. so. Yeah. You know, it's funny. If you were a girl on the internet, that would have been a dick pic. <laughs> No joke. Here's my here's my um, genital resume. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh no, I that swear. is really true. I've seen Twitter. I yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. boy. I so got that's, some that's a whole other rabbit hole thing too. Like where where the hell did that come from? Like uh, why would yeah? It, so this person saw a space to kind of get to you. you no, I that, meant the whole that, idea of just sending dick pics. Like, where did that come from? Oh, right. <laughs> the, you get those as well? No. no I'm joking. I'm but joking. I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't want to look at it. Why would I think anybody else would? Yeah. No. You're trying to prove something just like your high school diploma. Yeah. So. Well, I so we're done with this. I think that we will provide the link online so that you can take the quiz and you can assess yourself. Um, in addition, don't send DPs. Yeah, please. Yeah, no, I think this has been a fun episode. It's been really nice sitting down and chat with you, Mike. Yeah. Uh, I've really enjoyed just all of our back and forth. And uh, we can all agree, at least on one thing, that Jay Inslee, you're being a little bit garbage, man. Yep. Up your conscientiousness, Jay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think I said earlier to, to Korn, you know, while I appreciate Jay's uh, uh, dedication to, you know, saving the climate, he could also factor, he could also make a focus on a climate of safety for Western State Hospital employees. Wow. Put that on a button. Yeah. So we've got a couple to do's for you, but they are all calling Jay Inslee. So all the things that he needs to not suck at um, supporting employees at Western State Hospital and other state institutions and other state institutions um, also supporting the the climate protesters um, and uh, passing an executive order for a climate uh, emergency in Washington State and then also tell him that the vaping shit is just dumb and he needs to fuck off we are going to have the parents and the legal representation for those folks uh, for those kids um, here in Washington State that are uh, pressing the environmental issue through the courts. They've already recorded a podcast with our um, It Ends With Us group. Yep, so we got a couple good things coming up in the future. Um, One thing I do have to say for Sarah, Shama was supposed to be on this episode, but her car broke down. So in Sarah's defense, Sarah and that liar, Sarah. And during the storm. Oh, the whole. Yeah, my roof was destroyed. So just between car issues, roof issues, it's happening. But 
just give us some time, guys. Yeah, yeah. Shama's here. But we got lots of other great opportunities for you to engage with us directly. Heck so yeah. uh, one of the things that I've been doing with our good buddy Awesome Sauce is uh, every Tuesday night and every Friday night, we've got a streaming group going right now where we've been playing new content. Um, we're going to be putting cool. out some reviews for that. Uh, I think we're going to start doing some live reviews and engagement with some debate stuff and different political pieces that come out on Twitch. So be on the lookout from that from our group. Behind the scenes podcast stuff. uh, We're doing some behind the scenes podcast stuff where we're talking about editing and kind of the process that goes behind that. So really, we are about giving a voice out to everybody that we possibly can and helping you become part of that. So if you are somebody who is listening and you want to be part of that, you say my voice matters because you realize that it does matter, then reach out to us. Talk to us. Let's work together. Let's see what we can do. And let's really find a place to make your voice heard. Also, a quick personal plug. So we've been doing a lot of coverage on the Better Left Cast Twitter um, of local events. Um, so recently I went to Shama Swans. Um, she at, at city council, she was talking about her rent control legislation. Um, if you have events that you want us to cover and come talk about or, or come cover uh, and talk about on Twitter and on the podcast, we want to do that again. Come come talk to us here. Um, and I am at like 411 followers you on need Twitter. Way more. You so, are under. No, Get me up to 420, though. I'm so close. Yeah, for weed, yeah, right? Yeah, for drug. Not yeah. for yeah. druggo. Yeah. yeah. Not, also, not like, for mango and vaping. As a, yeah, as a fuck you to Jay Inslee and, and vape for life. So uh, once again, thank you to Mike for coming and joining us. Thanks again for, again, having me up here. It's been great. Yeah, and this is the Better Left cast saying one last time. Uh, one, it's better left to Mike and it's better left to you. Reach out to us and let's work together. Bye. And a podcast. See ya. Mr. Rogers will tell you you matter. You do matter. (laughs) I mean, Jay does. I don't know who's listening. They may not matter. (laughs) Good job, guys. Hey all, thanks for tuning in to the Better Left Podcast. When we sat down and recorded with Mike, he was just running for presidency of his local union chapter. But we're actually happy to announce, since we recorded this, Mike won. So we have another really good progressive champion for workers' rights right here in Washington fighting for our local state employees. So thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening. Check us out on the next episode where we've got Courtney Love, who's running for Tacoma City Council, uh, next. Thanks a lot. You want